The Hurling Podcast is brought to you by the Enniscorthy Credit Union, where you can join and apply for a loan on the same day. With great interest rates and special rates for car loans, green car loans and education loans. Check out their website at enniscorthycu.ie. The Enniscorthy Credit Union. Local, loyal and lending. Loans are subject to approval. Terms and conditions apply. If you do not meet the repayments on your loan, your account will go into arrears. This may affect your credit rating, which may limit your ability to access credit in the future. Enniscorthy Credit Union Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. If I told you what I put them lads through, you wouldn't believe it. Hurling has to be the most difficult, eye-hurting sport I've ever witnessed. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been described as the bridesmaids of Hurling, but today we got married. Oh, there's no rules. This guy just grabbed the ball, threw it up in the air, and then hit it. But, balls of heart, late. I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us through take and take. Come on, Wexford! And the man that dared to dream, his name is Liam Griffin. Hello and welcome to this special Jubilee episode of the Hurling Podcast. 25 years ago, Martin Story climbed the steps of the Hogan Stand to lift the Liam McCarthy Cup. And we're joined today by the man who led them there, as Martin said, the Messiah, Liam Griffin. I have to say, Ben, ever since we started doing the podcast, I've been looking forward to this one. Yeah, same here. The man is just iconic, really, isn't he? Uh, hopefully hopefully we don't have another 25 years to wait. Anyway, without further ado, it's the Hurling Podcast with Liam Griffin. We're coming up to a special memory for Wexford Hurling, but over the weekend, we Wexford Hurling lost a legend. Pat Nolan played in the goal for Wexford from 56 to 74. He won three All-Irelands. We... As the age we are, we don't really remember those years, but you would have grown up watching Pat Nolan in the goal. What kind of a man, what kind of a goalkeeper was he? Well, he was a relation of mine for a start anyway, so um, I, I knew a lot about him and I took great pride in watching him play. He was a very quiet man, a very modest man, and uh, a very loyal, a loyal man, loyal to everybody that he was friendly with and he played with. And um, he was just one of these most unassuming characters. You didn't, you wouldn't think he won a junior B medal for Taws, never mind playing hurling. And um, uh, I knew him well because when, 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 when I was a child, my mother used to go around visiting on Sundays, like that he used to do those days. And uh, we used to go up to Ballinastraw, where he's from, and I in uh, Glen Bryan. And I used to drag himself and John out into the yard to play hurling with me, uh, you know, young t- 11 and 12 year old. And uh, he wouldn't, he, uh, we'd go in when I got three goals and he, he decided when he was going to let in the three goals. But he was, a, he was a Damien Fitzhenry before Damien Fitzhenry. He was the same kind of a goalkeeper, nothing showy, nothing flashy, just a solid goalkeeper, just did his, his job, you know. So he, he was fantastic. And the great thing about him is that he's unique. He bridges the gap from 56 to, uh, to 1968. And um, uh, he came on, he was 17 and, and uh, 55. So he came on at just 18 years of age to, as a sub to Artie Foley on one of the greatest hurling teams that, that had lived up to then. And uh, he played all the way through, right through till 19, uh, 19, uh, 80, 80, what, seven, uh, 19, I'm getting lost myself now, 68. So like he was with the record era 
and then he played behind a completely new team. Nobody survived from the 56 team, only himself onto the, onto the team of 68. So he covered all of Ireland of Wexford's glorious period in hurling, except for the early part of the 50s, which was 51, 54, and 55. So, like, he is a true legend. And uh, I don't think we'll see a record like this again. He played in six All-Ireland finals, won three of them. And he played in seven National Hurling League finals and won three of those as well. And uh, four Railway Cups. And uh, he captained Gate to win a senior championship in 63. They were beaten in 62, won it in 63. Um, so that record, uh, uh, it's going to take a long time to equal that record and it probably won't happen. It won't happen in my time and it mightn't happen in your time. I hope it does, but I doubt it. But he was a, a genuine, great, great man. It's a shame. He kind of came, looking at it, he probably came just a bit too early. He probably would have got a few All-Stars had they been around at the time. He would, but... He, they, don't forget, that's the era of Ollie Welsh and fellas like that as well. And Ollie Welsh was very flamboyant. And uh, <clears throat> like Pat, uh, Ollie, well, I'm not saying Ollie did this, but a lot of, a lot of goalkeepers were flamboyant to make good team, a good, like easy saves seem very difficult. But fellas like Pat Nolan and, and Damien Fass, uh, Fitzhenry make difficult ones look easy. It's the opposite take. They don't, you know, they don't embellish it in any way. They just do the job and that's it. And that's the kind of goalkeeper he was. And um, Ollie would have been picked before him in the Railway Cup because he was high profile. Kenny were uh, winning a lot that time as well. So, um, but he played in, he played, he played in, in three of them. I think he was a sub in the other one of the Railway Cups that, 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 that uh, Leinster won. Now we were talking there before before we went live about uh, the book, the yellow book by yellowbelly.ie that you you wrote the foreword to. Yeah, yeah, I did. I saw the draft of it and <clears throat> I was amazed by it. I thought it was an incredible piece of work. I couldn't believe that anyone would do it. I thought everything about 96 had been said and written, but this was a whole new genre. Like, and it's, uh, it's absolutely fantastic. It's, uh, it's, it's a true work of art, like to what he's, what he's done there. And the amount of work that goes into it is incredible. And, um, I wish him well with the book and uh, all the graphics, everything, all the writing, and it's 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 really really well done. So that's set the heather blazing that is uh, on sale from September first, twenty five years to the date of Wexford win. Are you happy with your images in the book now? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. I wouldn't draw him like that. I'd be looking more like Rock Hudson if I was doing it my way. <laughs> the man is true to the man is true to his art, and he, he's a lot of uh, he's a lot of serious stuff in there. Some of the things and and uh, things that were said to me are in it as well. So, uh, no, nah, no, look, that's the truth. So, what can you do? Only just uh, that's it. Suck it up. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I'm no film star anyway, so it doesn't make any difference. I'm just looking at the the cover of it here, and just. What a, what an image! <laughs> what an image that was! Yeah, yeah. It's the the extra team walking down towards Hill Sixteen behind the Artane boys band, and you're just standing to the right of them. Yeah, yeah. No, the only regret I have about that picture, and I had it from the uh, from the moment the parade started, is that I don't agree with them wearing their helmets going to parade around the pitch because they should be exposed to everybody. Because they're great gladiators and going out to play a job. So 
I think uh, I don't think they wear the helmets anymore because I used to do an article in the Tribune and I was always saying like why are we going around the pitch with helmets on our heads like uh, you know let's see who they are there's fellas playing for Kenny the fellas didn't even know who they were you know so they deserve to be known and I think if I had the time to live over again we wouldn't have worn the helmets that's the only thing we did wrong but that that's a very minor detail now I'm going to move to the most the most important question we have now early on because there's a story now they all tell about a training session where um, Sean Collier was obviously doing the session and doing a bit of boxing and Tom Dempsey ends up on the floor. Larry O. O'Gorman throws in the towel and uh, Tom Dempsey reckons, and this is a question I had, but Tom specifically wanted this question asked because he thinks it was, this was all part of your plan to get him knocked out because you thought he needed it. Can you shed light on the rumours? <laughs> no, well, I wouldn't do a thing like that. That's not in my nature to do a thing like that, for, to put poor Tom into the ring with Sean Collier and tell him to knock him out. I couldn't do a thing like that. That's the truth. So <laughs> you have to take it from there. But coincidentally, everybody dropped everything they were doing and all got around the ring when Tom walked into it. So <laughs> uh, when he walked into the ring, so everybody was doing weights in the other room. And uh, it was actually in uh, Dominic Kiernan's gym. It was like something out of the gym we had was like something out of what I would consider the Bronx in New York or somewhere like Chicago. It was absolutely stunning gym in that there was a low roof, all steam everywhere, no ventilation and doors thrown open to try and let some air pass us. We wouldn't all pass out. So on one side, we had everybody uh, doing their exercises and somebody made a decision that the minute Tom stepped in the ring, they were told to drop everything and go down there. And I was amazed by it. I'm all going off to do this. But anyway, everyone got around the ring and Tom walked straight into Sean Collier's left hook. And I don't know how it happened. <laughs> so that's it. It's it's the way Sean uh, actually remembered it too, or, or said, yes, said that it happened. Yes, of course he does. Of course he he said does. that Tom ran forward and ran straight into his, head, into his fist. Yes, and I think that Tom, I think Tom was going for a knockout blow early on so that you could get out of there. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he he just disappeared. <laughs> he just disappeared and onto the ground. <laughs> and uh, look, at, it was great fun. And honestly, we always made sure we'd fun at every session because this thing about intensity is good, but there's a time and a place for everything. But if fun is not part of sport, what the hell is the point of playing it? And we had a, a good laugh every night and a, and a good laugh at every session. But when we went to turn on the on the, on the intensity and focus, well, we did that as well. And the lads were brilliant to, to, to do that, you know. So it was good. But we had so much fun. It doesn't sound Isn't like it? Tom had fun, Danny. Ah, well, <laughs> we, all had fun. we all had fun with Tom on the night. <laughs> at his expense. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's scared, though. He might be scared psychologically, but I don't think he's scared anywhere else. <laughs> I, I was also reading from, from Sean Collier that uh, he said that you kind of played a bit of reverse psychology with Tom in 96 in, in telling him that uh, he didn't have to go do the gym sessions because he had been around for 11 years and he thought that was your way of saying that you're going to be dropped. So he went and did the gym sessions by himself. <laughs> is, is, is that part true? Yes, it is true. <clears throat> but... Um... We got the right result anyway. Uh, you know, look at seriously. Tom was a Tom. Tom would have felt that I was uh, that that I was going to drop him every time. But <laughs> the, the thing is that 
I the one thing that I wanted to do with every player because it didn't happen to me and I played and I played in and I played inter county for a short time before I went away to live in Broad. I wanted every player to stay in a position where he was comfortable and where he could play and where he wasn't being asked to do jobs like converting a fella from full forward to right corner back. If he doesn't want to do that, it's very difficult for him to grab hold of it because. His confidence doesn't work on a on a big stage if he's doing that. But we needed Tom in the full forward line, and that's what we agreed as selectors. Tom didn't want to go there; he wanted to play in the middle of the field. And I understand that because he was an outfield player and he needed a bit of room. But Tom is a natural predator, and I just felt we needed a natural predator that would take up opportunities close to goal. And that's what we want. And we tried to persuade him that that's what we want him to do. And but he didn't want to do that because he felt. Probably that he was being demoted, but he wasn't being demoted. He was being promoted. And he got the goal in the Leinster final and he got the goal in the Ireland final. And I rest my case on that because I think I think we needed those two goals and he was a predator. And just look how he got them. And you'll see that he was a total predator. One in, one is, you've heard of Gareth Muller, the great uh, uh, German striker, who was very small, but a great header of the ball. He used to rise up above everybody. Now, Tom headed it off the ground <laughs> into the back of his, with his helmet. So, but he had the courage and the guts and the instinct and the predatory skills to actually go and dive on that ball. And it hopped off his helmet and went back into the back of the net. But that's a goal. As the Hopper McGrath used to say, it doesn't matter how to get in there. Once to get in there, they're a goal. And that's it. And the other one was Larry Murphy knocked the ball down on the square and he was there at the spot. And Joe Quaid never saw it, even though it's, it doesn't look a, 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 a super kind of a strike, but you must remember that cameras and 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 you know now yourselves, isn't it? cameras and all of those things have come on way way ahead. While everyone thinks all hurling with the, the, in the past was very slow, the cameras weren't quick either. So that's that's because I learned that from doing the game. For, when they did the game, the man told me that the actual slow motions now are a hundred times better. I think it's a hundred times better than they were. But you won't notice it because you're watching it. You won't notice it. So it's the same. That's why we think that the old guys were all cripples that never get any team now. Every one of them would have been on county teams that are that were making them then. And they would have done because they wanted to do it. And that's why they'd have found a way to do it. And don't tell me Christy Ring wouldn't have been on any team. And don't tell me that half the Wexford senior hurling team wouldn't be on the current one from way back then because they are they were competitors and they would have wanted to be in there. So I think then when you start to say, oh, it's different altogether, I think it's different because the people are in a different era. But I'm telling you that in my opinion, the players of old who were great would have been great today. We'll go back a bit now. You got bullied by Limerick. The 96 league, we had issues with Limerick in, in Kilmallock. And um, the first issue was we were supposed to play in the Gaelic grounds and we got word that morning we were to go to Kilmallock. That was the first thing. So I don't know why we didn't get notification on that, but that's what happened. To my best of my memory, uh, we, we were told to go there. So, no, it, was a, it wasn't a good game. It was a, a difficult game. It was a, it was a, got way out of hand. Uh, and, um, but that was, that was in February of 1996, I think, or thereabouts. And um, look, we were, uh, we had, Tommy Kehoe, who had done very well in the league and is a great chap, and he's a really excellent hurler. And uh, no no disrespect, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful to him, but Sean O'Neill was playing on on uh, on, on Tommy, and uh, 
Like the referee never protected Tommy one inch and he got some drilling off of, off of Sean O'Neill that day. And Tommy was a grand young fella and a really nice chap. And uh, he just, he just, uh, he was getting assaulted all the time on, on the ball and the referee was doing nothing about it. So the game wound up really now in bad grace. And I remember George O'Connor taking one of the Limerick fellas hurls and throwing up in the roof of the stand. And the crowd were baying for our blood from the minute we went out there. Um, there's a crowd of guys on the sideline and the... Um, Davey Fitz were saying how hard a time he got. I can tell you this much. He wanted to see to hear what the Bay and Krill were calling me. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So we we had a really bad time there on the day, and that's what happened. But um, the only two teams beat us that year it was Galway and Limerick. And we met one in the semi-final and the other in the final. The famous Mead game. It was in 95 league. <laughs> What what happened in that game? Did you put it in an experiment experimental team? Were you just terrible? You know what? No, what happened was Owlert were away actually too, and we had the Owlert players, and Dolim Dunn came back and he played, but they were on away because they'd won the championship or something. I'm not quite sure, but they were away in Kerry or somewhere. So, and that was in the winter time. So, um, we played meet. We we're going well. We we're going reasonably well, but this shows you where Wexford people had a problem. Um, <laughs> Meat had beaten a drawn with Offaly, uh, the All Ireland champions, the week the week before they played us, and then they came to play us, and they had some very good hurlers at the time. Pat Potterton was a particularly good fellow, played for Leinster as well, so there's some good hurlers, and they beat us fair and square. They got a late goal, I think, and they beat us. Now, um, we weren't really up for that game the way we should have been up for that game and that was probably my fault that we weren't up for that game as much and we had been forewarned to beat Nofley but everybody assumed it was a like it's a fluke but the supporters had got to the stage that they felt like you know how dare the meat come down here and beat us but people never remember this but the meat team in 1954 or 50 what 54 50, 55 or 56 maybe it's one of the years they drew at Wexford and Enniscarty before Wexford and they nearly beat them in, in the championship. Wexford went up to meet and beat them back and uh, beat, uh, beat them in the replay. But Wexford were nearly beaten in, in, uh, in the championship by meet at that time. So they've always had some hurlers, but God love them, not enough hurlers. Um, so that game wound up uh, that we were beaten and uh, we learned a lot from it. We played them the following year and uh, we beat them well. But that's, that's exactly what happened. But it led to a lot of commotion on the line and the people were baying for our blood going off the pitch. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a very pleasant atmosphere, but anyway, <laughs> we survived it. We survived it. And was there anything before that game that was a restlessness from supporters before that game? No, it stemmed from that game, really. That was, that was it. Like, I mean, that, that game is, we were in division two at the time. Don't forget when we went in as uh, the management team, we were in division two anyway. So, we were trying to get out of Division 2 and we were we could have still got out of it only. We played awfully in Wexford Park and genuinely staying distance all these years later, so I've no reason to say it. We had some terrible decisions from the referee that day and awfully came back and beat us. But uh, we were going well at the time and awfully came back and beat us. But the thing is that uh, Brendan, uh, Brendan Kelly, I think is his name, is playing full forward for, for Mead. And he kept just diving on the ground every time the ball came into himself and Jared Cush. And he got freeze every single time. And Ger hadn't even touched him. But we learned lessons from that. So we learned about playing from in front as opposed to playing from behind, which we wanted to do anyway. So 
we awfully we didn't get the promotion and that was that was that was uh, that was as a result of that now had we won the meat match we wouldn't have got promotion either because we needed to that, that didn't make any difference it was a disappointment we didn't get out of division division two but to be honest we didn't deserve to get out of division two in my opinion at that time we weren't as united a bunch and we needed to make the journey we'd only started in, we'd only started in october of of 2004 uh, 1994 so like we were only getting it together because we did a few things that meant that when we came back in that september uh, it looked like maybe we wouldn't have been coming back that september because there was there was a efforts on to get rid of us you know from the job i'd say if there was social media that there is today we'd have been gone uh, i think i think we'd have been gone because there would have been a storm because like you know the way people go on social media i think there would have been a massive call for us to go and the papers would have picked up that and they would have been out for to get us so that's that's you know based on results but it just goes to show you it may not be always the right thing to do you know to just run with the crowd because we were doing stuff that that nobody knew we were doing but we were doing it for a reason for example we were playing the goalkeeper in the uh, wing back we were playing fellas in different things to try stuff out we took jared kush out from fullback and put him centre back we brought Liam Dunn from centre back and put him wing back. That was in the in the in the league of 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 ninety five ninety six, but we were very united in the league of ninety five and ninety six. We were ninety from October of ninety five right through to the to the championship of ninety six. We had that that gym was really working for us, and we really had unity. We left a lot of stuff to the lads themselves in ninety five and to see what we, what, what fellas were made of, and uh, we just took it over ourselves then and said this is it now and then. We had made our stands on several issues and we went back with a very united dressing room and you could sense it the minute we walked back in in September because we were even-handed, we were fair, anything we did was honest and uh, they knew that. So they, they then came on board and uh, united very strongly. Another one of the, I suppose, controversial or one of the talking points was the taking the captaincy off Liam Dunn after playing for the club a couple of days before the championship game. How hard of a decision was that? <clears throat> Look, at we had laid down a very generous law of what was to be played. And we were, I'm a club man. And uh, like I, I, I even joined the Club Fairs Association there last year. and was involved there. But I, I'm a club man because every every GA team is is, is the sum of its clubs, uh, inter-county team. And if you don't cherish the club and have got good time for the clubs, and you just want to just be a county manager and have no time for the club. I don't agree with that at all. I think just we must understand our ethos and where we come from. And um, the, all the publicity is about the inter-county game, but the inter-county men are all club men in the first instance. So from our perspective, we had said they could play leagues, they could play this and that, but there was other rules that uh, if we didn't want them to play the, a club match for whatever reason, that like if, if we felt that the club match wasn't important enough for us not to... to, to our journey was going to be, you know, the length of our journey was going to decide on the uh, the amount of the, the quality of our of our of our preparedness. So we had a few fellas stepped out of line slightly, and I remember George O'Connor and John O'Connor. They played in something before, maybe in Oroctus or something. I'm not sure, but we we had said we didn't want any to play that time, and they played, and they got they were dropped for playing. So. You know, and we spoke to him and we said, okay, you did it, but this, you shouldn't have done it and so forth. And, and we're not picking it. So anyway, we had done taken disciplinary action with people. I would say not disciplinary action. We had said, like, you're responsible for what you did. So this is what's going to happen now. So suddenly we were playing 
awfully in the first round of the Leinster Championship, in the first televised hurling match in the Championship ever, I think, in Crow Park on a Saturday evening. And uh, uh, the Owler Club uh, played Liam Dunn, and uh, not Martin Story because he's injured, Paul Finn as well. And they played, they played some of the Owler players. Now we were playing. So I didn't know about this until uh, Rory Kinsler rang me to say they had played. So here's the dilemma now. We had been even-handed with what we were doing before. So now Liam Dunn is captain. What were we going to do? And everybody had bought their tickets for Crow Park. Not that it was a big crowd going anyway. So they had bought their tickets for Crow Park and they're expecting Wexford to put out the team that was on the paper. And the team was on the paper the morning that they played the match. So like... I didn't want to row with, with Owlert. I didn't want to row with anybody. What were I going around looking for a rouse over? We're playing the championship. So they played them in the match. And uh, from our perspective, that was out of order. They were playing the week of a championship match. I don't believe it had ever happened in any county in the country. Like, So we weren't happy with that. So I, I actually spoke to Rory and to Seamus and said, right, we're going to have to do something about this. We are going to not, this cannot be let pass because if not, we lose total control. And we want to be in control of our job as managers, not players, just managers and people managing the team. So my point was, Liam Dunn is going to have to get some form of punishment and our elders are going to get some form of punishment. So we said, we'll take the captaincy off of Liam Dunn, which really was a token thing. But at the same time, it was a solid statement from us. But then we left ourselves open to say, right, somebody else might refuse to take it. So the decision was, that we'd take Liam Dunn the captaincy away and that George O'Connor, because of his long service and everything else, was going to be captain and he had no right to negotiate. He was going to be told, you're a captain, that's it. So Liam Dunn, to be fair, I called him over, he knew there was trouble and I just said to him, right, what happened is totally of order, it shouldn't have happened and we're taking the captaincy off you, that's it. And he said, fair enough, if that's what you want to do. And then he said to me, well, I have a request to make to you. I said, well, <laughs> you've got some cheek looking for a request at this stage. So uh, he said, uh, Martin Story should be made a captain. They said, no Owlert man is going to be captain of the Wexford team this week. Not there. No Owlert man is going to be captain of the Wexford team this year. So he said, well, Martin Story didn't play. I said, that doesn't matter. He's part of the Owlert club and Owlert made that decision. Now, I have no animosity against anybody. I have no animosity against Owlert. They may have animosity about me and my story. I have no animosity against people who did things to me. I have no animosity against people who, who did things that were totally uh, unacceptable. I'm, too, I'm not going to go down holding grudges against everybody. Everybody gets passionate about things. So anybody who's ever done anything wrong to me, I, know, I have no problem with it. So it's over. I'm not going to get, it's too, it's trivial. It doesn't matter anymore. So from my perspective, I think we did the right thing. And I think that we stood up and were counted. But boy, did that make us when we went back in September. Because when we went back in September, which we were looking to go back and it looked like we mightn't. And only for Paddy Wickham stood by us uh, uh, very strongly as county chairman. And Mick Kinsel as well stood behind us. Now, Rory was a selector, of course, but Mick was going to do it anyway. And, and the county board, he said, no way it was, was it going to come up that we were going to be sacked because we were going to do this period of time. So that's what happened. So they stood by us. The county board stood by us then as a, as a whole body. They stood behind us. And that meant that we went back with the county board on side, with the players on side, and a whole new atmosphere that everyone knew, this is serious. And then when we said... Now, this is what we want done. This is how we're going to do it. And we did gym ready and all of those things. And we started from there. And I think Lim Dunn referred to us as being a band of brothers. They were a band of brothers after that. And they were all united as one team, not just as club, club men. Was the county champions captain role back then? Like, would you have had issues 
higher up had you wanted to give it to George? Uh, no, we wouldn't have had issues with anybody because we were we were we were masters of our own destiny as managers. Because my belief is managers must manage. That's their job. Managers must, and the word means must manage. Because if you're anyway airy fairy about management, you know, and if, provided you're not a complete arrogant, and I I don't think I'm arrogant, but I was. If I I thought it through, I think all things through uh, like that, especially where a lot of people are involved, and. Uh, I felt, no, that's fair, it's honest, and it's honourable, and that's what we're going to do. So, uh, and I didn't want George to have the choice, because, uh, and we agreed that, myself and Seamus and and, uh, and and Rory. George getting no choice, because if he's given choice, he's compromised. So we thought that through as well. So what we were trying to do was to, you know, be fair, be honest, and so forth. And I think I'd do it again tomorrow if I had to do it. That, that, that's a fact. I have no regrets about what happened. And when did Martin then become the captain, if George was given it after Liam was stripped of it? Uh, well, we were beaten. Don't forget, it was a straight knockout. We were gone. Yeah. And that was the big issue that we had, that having done that and we were gone, then we were wide open for people to just get us out of there. And that's what happened. Now, the people who tried to get us out of there were very decent fellas that I know some of them. I know them quite well. I admire them still to this day. They're honest men, uh, you know, and said what they thought. Uh, they just happened to be wrong, I thought, and uh, then it was a knee-jerk reaction. But they weren't evil and they weren't bad people, and I have nothing against them for doing it. In fact, I admire them for the fact that they were prepared to stand up and say it. I do admire them, because everybody else might be thinking it. So, you know, that that was it. So, no harm done, Uh, we moved on, and they helped us in our journey by doing it, actually. Do you think that's kind of what is a big difference between 95 and 96? You think all those things, kind of people, things going against you, kind of that's what got, that's what changed attitudes, got them to buy into what you were doing? Yeah, and I think we were doing good stuff. And I think we were, I think, I think the players liked what we were doing for the most part. And we were trying to be pro, proactive and we were trying to be thoughtful. And I can tell you, and I'm not saying this to be boastful because I don't want to be boastful about it, but I was driven by a passion for my own county that people like Pat Nolan had inculcated in me and the people that went before. And from my perspective, I wanted us to get back because I actually genuinely felt that if we didn't win something before the end of the century, that Hurling and Wexford was going to be, where were we going? We've won one All-Ireland now in 52 years, like or 51 years, 52 years. I mean, that's not good enough for a county like Wexford. It's absolutely not good enough. It's, it's actually terrible that we that that's all we've done is win one one since you know in, in, in all that time. But I was determined to do everything in my power to try and make sure that we won it together with the people that we that that I had working with me. And we all and when I say I, I mean we, because it was a team effort from everybody. So and 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 the systems were good. But I think the players began to see what we were trying to do, and we were giving them actual research in relation to the things we were asking them to do. Like I spent hours doing handouts for players for to, when we were doing stuff and myself and Sean Collier spent hours going over systems and so forth. Sean knew nothing about hurling, but I was trying to match the best practice on coaching back to uh, hurling because I, I, I was a reasonable hurler in my time. And, uh, you know, I, I had a career cut short, but I, I could hurl and uh, I played very well at underage and colleges. And I, I was confident in my own ability. So from that perspective, like to match that with the training that we were doing and to try and gear it for hurling. And my, my brother was a professional coach in England as well, and he was a great help to me. So I did an awful lot of study. I was studying all the way through this. I was studying psychology. I was studying methodology. I was studying 
I have a book there behind me called The Theory and Methodology of Training. And it's like a, 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 a gospel of, uh, of, of training written by who's then the leading man in the world, a man called Shooter Bumper. And I studied every single inch of what he talked about. The, the, you know, all of the various things of all the aspects of training, periodization and all the various things and all sorts of training. And for every single part of our journey that we, we looked at that and we just double checked that we were getting it right. And uh, so we had a lot of, we had a lot of good systems. And I think because of that, the players knew that we were we were getting there and uh, then they bought into it and then they really, really grabbed it up and went with it. And that was that's what happened. But like if they didn't grab it up and go with it, we wouldn't have won anything. They had to do that. Like that was it. But that was management's job. Management must manage. So it's up to us to get the players on side. And that's why I think you get wayward players on every team in the country. But you as a manager have to be able to bring them on board. If you've got a very talented player and you lose that talented player because you haven't got the ability to try and persuade them and show them the, 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 the way to go that you believe is the right way to go and show them that there's a, there's a good meaning behind all of this, you lose that player. You're a bad manager. He, he, he's gone and you've lost him. Now, if you try everything in your power and you're still an asshole, well, then he deserves to go. But like, if you can persuade them and see that everybody is a different type of personality. So that's what management's about. It's managing. And that's what we have to do. So I think we did a good job on it. And I think we took reflective views on everything. And we did everything we did. I'm satisfied. And I'm saying this now, 25 years later, I'm satisfied that there's no part of our plan that we worked on that wasn't taught through top to bottom and done and delivered properly. And you can say what they like about teams that are fit today. We were the fittest team in Ireland that year, and that's a fact. I had a, 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 an interview with a, a Wexford uh, <laughs> radio journalist telling me, yeah, but you lads wouldn't have been training like the lads then. We worked by the science of training at that time, by the science, and we del delivered by the science as well. So, like, that's it, and that's a fact. And we were the best team in Ireland that year, and the, uh, the players proved it. They won the All-Ireland. You don't win the All-Ireland unless you're good enough, and they were good enough, and they were great, and... Uh, and like, it was fantastic to see them being getting their just desserts when they did knuckle down and go and do a good job. You've talked about being so well prepared and for all the different scenarios. I mean, you touched on it earlier about playing Damien Fitzhenry out at wing back. One, to get him a bit fitter, I think. And two, because what if Damien got hurt at some stage? Then you'd have to put in a goalkeeper that hasn't had any league experience so you were given Seamus Kavanagh some league experience yeah. there, there's all these different scenarios that you worked on you, you've even talked about how you've pre you prepared the 96 final for going down to 14 men and it, it's something that um, Colin Moore on your locker Gale mentioned he said and he was referring to the match against Galway about how when Galway got the goal Wexford didn't panic. Martin Story just started telling Cush, Edger Cush and Liam Dunn, let's just stick to the plan. And then he said that, you know, every team has a plan, but sticking to the plan is the key. And especially when things start to go wrong. How did you ensure that? How did you ensure that the players didn't panic, that nobody panicked and that the plan was stuck to? Well, we had started doing stats, and uh, and I don't think there was I don't know anybody else was doing stats on um, play, on 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 play at that time. But we were going to do stats from the very start. Our stats were the, the science behind how you how, of, of what you're saying. What's the point of walking in and say do this, do that, do the other thing? Okay, why, why, why do we do that? I felt I was an intelligent young fellow when I was playing, 
And I felt those fellas coming in screaming and shouting and talking and stuff. And I don't know what to say. I had no clue what to say. And then the last thing was, well, now you're all right. That, that I, like we needed to try and, and buy into the process of the whole game. The word process, I hated myself. But the, we broke down the game of hurling on, the, on a wall one night early on when we took over. And said, so what is hurling? What is it? What's, what's, what constitutes this game? And we started writing down various bits and pieces and fellas called out, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing. So there's so many things, moving parts and hurling. So like, for example, I would be mad on accuracy. I mean, I mean accuracy, a point, uh, uh, passing the ball to a man that goes a, an inch over his head and he can't catch it is a disaster. Passing it an inch below his hand that doesn't go into his hand, it's a disaster. Because at the level that you're trying to achieve of, 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 uh, of elite sport, you have to try to deliver exactly accuracy at all times as well in, in everything that you do. And that goes to every aspect of training, every else. So we kept the stats and we showed the stats. Now, like on the stats, we, we put them up on the board after every game. The fellas were, I'd say, not even remotely interested at the start. They weren't consuming any of it, uh, you know, for a, a while. Now we had to put their, we put their names up. But for example, the ball winds up in the back of the net. My question is not who got it, who's marking it, where did it start, where did it start from, where did it start from, where did it come from? The corner forward didn't tackle the man in the ball, and he passed it to the fellow in the centre field, and he passed it into the inside forward into the back of the net, and everyone blames the poor old corner back. So that goal will go down to the man who, who didn't tackle for the ball. So that goal is his goal. That's, the, that's his fault. That's a goal that we attributed to him, even if he's playing, if he's playing corner back down the other end our corner forward at the other end. That will be down to him. So I know Martin's story was wickedly mad at me one night because he'd done, had a good game and he got man the match. And we had him on a minus score because his man had got away and made a few scores, right? And you can imagine how Martin had reacted to that. And uh, of course, he starts out to me, Jesus, how did they wind up with no score? I'm on minus three. And the lad said, oh, yeah, we're minus three. And it you know, became a bit of a joke. But it was by giving that kind of feedback of information that we all began to see that this is much more important. So what we what the, did with the goalkeeper was, Damien Fitzhenry was a good, uh, is a great goalkeeper. He's not a good goalkeeper, he's a great goalkeeper. He's the best goalkeeper of that period when he was there, in my opinion. But he needed to be fitter. But I wanted the full back line to play from in front. That's what I wanted. And my point was, you tell me why a fellow should stand behind DJ Carey in a square and sit there looking at him, getting the ball, and then selling a dummy and sticking it in the net. Now, if he stuck it in twice and you've got 10 of them off from in front, what would that mean? And we had a situation whereby my point to Colin Kehoe and a few of them was, if that ball comes in low and hard and you let that ball spin off your hurl, we're dead. Because some fellow like Charlie Carter, pick it up, DJ Carey. Charlie Carter got get team today. So would DJ Carey. Don't kid yourself. These fellas were brilliant hurlers like. And your Damon Morrissey then playing as well. You know, you had John Power then the, an enforcer in the middle. Like... Like you can't wash these lads out of history. They were great players, and they just needed a sniff. So we wanted Damien Fitzhenry to be the extra to be the extra man. Now Jared Cush and myself had disagreements that I felt that Jared had become uh, an institutionalised at fullback, and I did say to him, and, uh, and I'm saying it now because I've a card behind me here. He says from the slowest from the slowest fullback in the world, but <laughs> wasn't he wasn't sharp enough? And I did say to him, Jared, I don't think you're going to make it like. And uh, because you're, you're just too slow and it's not going to work and you can't hurl behind yourself anymore. You're not able to turn back and hurl. You're not, not able to go back. And, you know, you're inclined to start swinging the hurl at the fellow and hit them in the back with it. And all of a sudden they get a free 
and all of a sudden that goes over the bar and that's okay. Well, it's not okay anymore. So we have to get that right. So we said, so Jer got really, really upset with me and I don't blame him for being upset with me, but I couldn't just, I had to get the discussion going to spell it out to him at the time. And this was the discussion that we'd had amongst the selectors. Don't we? So when I'm saying, I, I mean, we, so we had discussed all of this thing because I was just going to walk in and land that album. But so what we said to Jer was, I called him in. He was he, actually Billy Byrne was telling me he wasn't going to come to train. And Billy Byrne said, "Well, I'm not going either. Then if you're not going." But Billy got persuaded him to come. He said, "Sure, ask him. Go up and ask him. Go up and tell him what do you want to say to him." So Jericho asked me to speak to me, and I said, "Yeah, no bother." So we, I think we spoke in his restroom or somewhere, and uh, I said to him, "He said, look, I'm not being treated fairly. Like you're saying, you're going to drop me." I said, "Well, it's not me. You're going to drop you, not me." So the point is, we can't afford this anymore. Just that's it. Otherwise, we're going, going to lose. Because don't forget, I'm looking at the big picture. How are we going to win? And you have to make moves on what you have and say, where are we good? Where are we bad? I would have got up at five in the morning. I'm saying this now without, again, making a big deal of it. Because they did it because they wanted to do it, right? And going through every minutia of everything that we were doing everywhere and trying to identify where are the problems with all of this? What can we correct? What's available to correct it? How do we do it? Now, first of all, we had to be on the ball ourselves, but you had to deal with the player. Now, you cannot just avoid looking at the player in the eye and telling them what you think. I would love when I was playing, if someone looked me in the eye and say, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. And, 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 and be able to rationalize it. So I said to Jerry, listen to me. I'll do a deal with you. You played centre-back as a minor in 1985 and Wexford won a Championship. I put you centre-back now and, and in, for the league. And let's you see, you now say you get a chance to play centre back. That gives you a lot more hurling than standing behind the man and just trying to shove him at a hurl or try and keep him out. You've a lot of hurling to do with a centre half back. And, you know, we'll move Liam Dunn to wing back. Now, Liam Dunn didn't want to play particularly wing back either. So we, we, we needed to maybe get Liam to be on the wing anyway, you know, just to, to get him out of his comfort zone as well so as he'd hurl his way back into centre back. And then we put Damien wing back as well. Now, I know the Wexford people didn't know what the hell we're doing, but, there's, but the answer was, Jesus Christ almighty, this fella doesn't have a clue what he's doing, gobshite. He's putting the best goalkeeper in Ireland wing back, right? So, but we did it for a reason. Now, we said to Damien, right, I remember sitting talking to him or just going down to the goalpost, said, right, two sticks and a, and a crossbar. That's all this is here. I, we need you to come off that goal line and, and play. Now, if he hadn't been out in combat, he had to be put into combat to be able to be good at doing that. He had to be confident of going to a ball that he was going to get fought for it, but he was going to fight back and he was going to still win the ball. So that's why you brought him out to wing back. He had a brilliant time. He stopped Johnny Dooley. He got very little off him when he played the wing back. He got a roasting off of uh, Joe Rabbit, who got 10 points off him. But anyway, Rory Kinsley said to me, oh, Jesus Christ, Almighty, we're going to be, we're going to be shot. We're going to be shot. He said, we're the best goalkeeper in Ireland playing wing back and he's been destroyed. I said, it's worse than that, Rory. It's worse than that. We're going to have to take him off now. Oh, Jesus. We're going to be killed. We'll be killed. We'll be absolutely assassinated. I said, we're taking him off now. Come on, here we go. We might as well go for broke. And people started screaming in the stands. So we took poor old Damien off to sit down. So when I said to Damien, going home on the bus, I said, do you fancy going back in the goal? But yes, I sure do. So that's what happened, Dan. 
Damien was brilliant and we played from in front and then we actually made a thing as well that the ball comes in and you can't get it on your first touch so now you've got to get your first touch you've got to get your first touch going out to it as a cornerback you can't leave it behind you and if it is going to go behind you drop on it just drop your body just get down on it drop your two knees on it don't let it out of, the, out of the, that area and to my to my great satisfaction afterwards I met Charlie Carter when we were doing this hurling for cancer and he said to me uh, uh, in the dressing room, Jesus Christ, he said, he used to hate marking that goddamn uh, Colin Kehoe. He was such a bloody nuisance of a hurler to mark. I couldn't mark him. The little bastard would be out in front of you for every ball, which is exactly what we wanted him to do. So, like, and, and, that's, and that's a fact. And he was brilliant that year. So, and he was, he was a magnificent Ireland final. So, like, these are all the bits and pieces that you try to make work. But then Jerry came back into fullback. And now we had a thing about discipline, that we wanted to be disciplined. Because what is the point of fouling a man and hurling 70 yards out and letting them put it over the bar? Nobody ever says, there's going to be repercussions for you doing this, like, we're going to lose. So we, we actually had practiced this thing, and we'd given all the stats on all of the various scores. And we actually forecast what, what, the, uh, what, what we needed to keep the free taker on the other side down to. You know, we just, we could, and it wasn't, you were being smart. It was logic. You were dealing, using logic. Like, if you were going to give, I was watching the papers for the scores Gary Kirby was getting in, in Munster, seven and eight points from freeze every day, right? And we said, we're not good enough. And we all agreed at the beginning of the time when we sat down to discuss it, that we weren't good enough unless we got so many things right. But we would have had to, we had to win the hooking and blocking. And then that was the decision that we wanted to be Ireland's leading hookers. And that was a bit of fun. I mean, a bit of crack at it. So we were, we had to be Ireland's leading hookers. We had to be first on the blockdowns, you know, and that gave us a measure of our intensity. Talking about intensity means nothing. Deliver it. And how do you deliver it? And how do you measure it? You measure it by where are you defensively? If the corner forward is not going to block and hook, he's going to be there. He's your first line of defense. And if the full forward is swallowing around in there, waiting for ball and letting his man clear it, you can't have that. And we certainly knew we could not have that. We all knew it. It wasn't just me. We all knew it when we looked at the logic of it. So that meant that we account, you concentrated on the detail and the small detail. And when you concentrate on the small detail, you're not even halfway there. You keep going and digging and digging for more detail that you can probably try and put right. And John O'Leary was our stats man and he was brilliant. And he got the message. He knew exactly what we we're trying to do. So I think the stats played an awful important role. We didn't foul once in the second half against Toffley in the Leinster final. I think that's been missed. I don't think we fouled once. We didn't foul once in the, in the second half in the Ireland senior hurling final inside the middle of the field. And uh, incidentally, the Limerick fellas uh, were asking uh, like uh, after the match, and and God love Limerick. I'm you no, know, we our job is to try and win a, win win an all and not be sorry for Limerick. So, and after Kilmallock, we weren't a bit sorry for him to be quite honest. But anyway, from that point of view, like. If you were going to, if you were going to uh, keep your chance of winning right, we had to keep the, the, the discipline on our team. And absolutely everyone knew that. And in the other final, when we the man put off, my point in the dressing room was, because I don't believe in shouting and roaring in the dressing room, three things is about all you can say and you emphasize them. And my point was, you know the, the story, if you foul, uh, we said we had to keep the Gary Kirby to four points, uh, no more keep him to four points. If he got more than four points, we probably wouldn't win the All-Ireland. So at halftime, it was easy to say it. They heard it at the meeting. We didn't do our meetings before a match. We did our meetings in advance of the match. And we did our meetings after every match. So we were the sum of all our parts every time we were going forward. We weren't just winning matches. We were the sum of how I won it for us. And we knew what won it for us as we were moving forward. 
So as we move forward, we had more stuff to gather up on the way and, and, and from every match corrected. And that meant we had momentum with a purpose. The momentum wasn't just momentum. That's only a word. The momentum was a learning as well. So we had the learnings of the momentum that we were building up ourselves. And that made us feel stronger psychologically. I know it did. And then with Neil Fitzpatrick enforcing that, all of those things and understanding what we were trying to do and being absolutely brilliant, that made that so good as well. So from that perspective, like to, to have the discipline, and I don't believe any other team has ever done this, and that's not to be boastful about our team, but I think there are some men to be able to do it. Would I have been able to do it? Right, not to pin him a collar. But the punishment for letting your man get a score was not that he got the score, was that you made every dying effort to make sure he didn't get the score, not that you, 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 you did something else. So everyone bought into that. And the, the, manage, the halftime, I just said, the bottom line, lads, is Kerry Kirby is on two points. If he gets two more points and we hand it up to him, we will not win the All-Ireland final today. We know that before we go out. You know that. All of us know that that's what's going to happen. So Gary Kirby has got to be kept from getting freeze to put him over the bar. And the more freeze he would have got, the more confidence he would have got. And the, the Olympic could get into their momentum. So when the lads went out, that was the big one. You have to do that. And the next thing was discipline again. Discipline, discipline, discipline. There's no piece of people going out there to take revenge because uh, Eamon Scallon was put off. We got to go out and keep our heads. So, in other words, we were now going to play a different type of game completely than the game we played against Offaly. But we had trained for this because it was part of our DNA now, because we had done all this work. So that that was that's that's how that came about. So uh, it was the sum of all of our learnings as we're going forward. And it wasn't the sums. It wasn't the sums that we were clever enough to bring out. And maybe it was clever enough, but it was just pure logic. They were clever enough to learn and take it on board and say, yes, I know I need to do this. At the time, was anyone else in Ireland using a sports psychologist? I think Galway had somebody. I think Galway had somebody, but I'm not sure. Uh, but it wasn't common in the GEA. And actually, we had to be secretive about it, which really uh, was... Uh, Today, like, uh, you know, that Cord girl in, in, in Limerick, and she was with Kerry footballers as well, um, she gets good teams, then she, she'll only go to the best teams, I think. But uh, Caroline Cord is her name. But I think she, but Neve Fitzpatrick was a young woman at the time. And when we went to get Neve, I, uh, <clears throat> I interviewed three different people. I went and interviewed them in Dublin and sat down and sat and talked to them and listened to what they had to say. Uh, and for once, I was doing less talking than they were. So, uh, you know, I wanted to see what they were made of and what they wanted to do. And the one thing I want them to do is know nothing about hurling. That was the most important thing, that you nothing about it. Because that would govern their thinking and their thought process and they start trying to analyze the game. I didn't need them to do that. I need them to get stuck into the whole, what we were trying to achieve and how they might deliver it for us. But I was really impressed with Neve. She was very highly, she was a very high emotional intelligence was really, really high. She was a woman, which was going to be challenging for us as well, because we had a meeting about this and a vote on it in Ferry Garrick Hotel. And I have been doing the psychology myself. I was, I, I, I have them over there, actually. You could buy it for a dollar. You could buy the best coaching association in the world was the Coaching Association of Canada. And they had documents. They had papers on every single given subject that you could think of. So you could buy it for a dollar. And... Uh, I had gone to America to look. Uh, I had a great friend, Bill Bowen, whose father was the doctor of uh, Nicky Rackard uh, and the Rackard family. And he was from Enniscorthy. And Bill was one of the world's leading dental researchers. And he happened to be a friend of mine. But he's sports mad. 
And when I got to Wexford job, he was very excited. So, uh, and he was delighted that I was, I was going to do it. But anyway, uh, I went over to him to Rochester University and we had a look through, we went to look through, I went to look for some stuff on sport and we did some research together because he was a professional researcher. So we looked at various coaching associations, the Russians, everybody else, there was all that stuff that you could get. And Bill said to me, look, at the best coaching association in the world is actually Canada and they're just around the corner here. So we, we then found that Canada, my brother recommended Tudor Bumpe, who happened to be in the uni York University in Canada. Um, so we then went on and, and uh, I wrote to this coaching association in Canada and they sent me back stuff and said, this is all the stuff we have. And they gave me a whole glossary of what they had. You could buy it on any given subject whatsoever. But I actually got several papers off it and it was, I didn't want, I didn't want cliched stuff like Vince Lombardi, women's not this is the only thing or whatever. We wanted stuff we could really work off of. And I found that the Coaching Association of Canada, there was not a single word wasted on the documents and you just read the documents and I could, I, I maybe photocopied them and gave them the players bits and pieces. Uh, and that's what we did. But then we had used that through the league and we got promoted. And then like I made a point with everybody and, and when we, the selectors discussed it, said, look, if we could bring in a sports psychologist, uh, look, we would be really, you know, this would really help us and bring us on. So we discussed it with the players and said, if it wasn't voted on unanimously, we wouldn't do it. They had to be unanimous. So I led the debate on why we should do it and what it might do. But I said, the decision is yours. And if it even gave us something, what do you think? What do you think? So they started the debate and some fellas said, oh, Jesus, uh, I don't know. And the debate went round and round. And the fellas said, Christ, it'll be all over the papers that Wexford hire a head shrink to win All-Ireland. And then someone else said, sure, so what, like? Well, I said, well, so what? That, that could undermine us. So uh, why would they, how would they know this? Like, tell me, how would they know this? Well, someone here might say it. I said, okay. So therefore we have a, a spy in the camp for somebody else. We've got somebody that wants to stab us in the back in this room. I trust everybody in this room. We're after building a lot of trust. You can't even tell your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, whatever it is, just shut up. <laughs> but this is us, we're trying to win something. So everybody shut up. And if everybody shuts up, no one will know. Because that saves us from a non-necessary distraction that's got nothing to do with any of this. It's not going to help us, is it? So everybody, and then they said, look, we want 15 more minutes. So I said, right, I'm going to guillotine this now in a minute. And that's it. And if it's not unanimous, it's not done. Now that put them under pressure to make a decision. And I'd asked them, I think at that stage too, to close their eyes and not look at the fellow next to them. So that they were standing up to be counted individually on this. And, and then they had to make an, a decision. So they said, okay, they, they voted in favor. Everybody voted in favor. And then we interviewed Neve. And then I, I, I met her in Ferry Carrick when we had all sorted it out. And the boys were down the room and uh, I brought her into the room and I said, now, this is your new sports psychologist. So if someone says something, it'll be Wexford hire woman head shrink to try and win a hurling match. That's what's going to be on the paper. And uh, we'll have to live with that if that's what happens out there. And nobody ever said a word. And I think that that was so much meant so much to me that the measure of these guys was that we now had total trust amongst every single player in that panel. And they weren't out talking about stuff. Our job was to keep our heads down and keep working. That was our job. And we owe that to the supporters as well, by the way. We did owe it to them. It just to me, like, I think what a group of 30 fellas, one psychologist, it just strikes me like she wouldn't even have enough time to do enough work with everyone. Or how did, how did it work? Like, did she put in hours upon hours? She did. 
and she did it, you know, what she did was she took them all individually first and interviewed them all individually. And she got to know them well. So that, look, at they told her things that I never knew. And, you know, about their own private life or whatever. I don't know what they told her, but they talked to her. And I told her, the only thing that I ever said to the players, which I, uh, at the very start, if any five of you come up to me and say, we think you're not good enough, we don't want you here. You don't have to go to the paper. You don't have to go to the county board. You don't have to go to your father. You don't have to go to your club. The minute you do that, I'm out the door. I'm gone. I'm back down in that car and back down to Ross Lair. And I promise you, I won't bother you forever, ever, for the rest of my life again. So, like, not, none of this bullshit. If you're either on the side with me now or you're not. And so, if you are, then let's let's be all together on it. You won't like everything we do, but persevere and we get there. And that's the best we can do. So, we had that buy-in from the players that, that, that they were now happy enough with the way it was going. So, don't forget, if they didn't accept their own management fully, how were they going to accept the sports psychologist like? And how then were they going to expect the woman? This was a big leap, leap for them now to do that. And they were one of the first counties in Ireland to do it. And in the meantime, I remember Eugene McGee, who won all Ireland's with Offaly, talking about sports psychology being the greatest bullshit of all time. Uh, yeah, he's right about that. If it is bullshit, it's bullshit. But if it's not bullshit, it's not bullshit. So from the point of view, sports psychology is pure, unadulterated logic. That's all it is. Not, this is not the third secret of Fatima. This is absolute logic. All of the stuff that you get in sports psychology is something to rationalize why you're doing things and what you're trying to do. And that's what was happening. So, but Neve was fantastic. She addressed them as groups and so forth. She knew what we were trying to get at. Myself and Neve talked for hours. So we really had a great relationship with her. And she and the emotional intelligence that she showed was clicking in right from the start. She never made a wrong move once. And uh, or did a wrong thing, anything that that was that wasn't even yet. You say, need Jeannie Mac, I don't think that's particularly right. So she was brilliant, and I believe that only for her, Sean Collier, Seamus Barn, Rory Kinsley, John, 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 John O'Leary, myself as a group, and Pat Murphy, who was our great support with the kits and all that stuff. So, but the main players there, every one of those, if we had missed one of those from that from that group, we probably wouldn't have won. Any one of them wouldn't have won because every one of those were absolutely brilliant. And like John O'Leary would have stats on my desk on a fax machine at nine o'clock every Monday morning after a match. So I, I dedicated the first couple of hours of Monday morning when I got them in the door. Sometimes I'd arrive at eight. I'd be sitting waiting for to hear the thing going off. Till I got grabbed them and looked at the stats. And the great thing for me with the stats was the minute I read them, I could see the game all over again. I could see exactly what happened and what was the consequence of certain things. You could see it off the stats. And then you let them seep in by osmosis into your head. And I only believe about six counts, the six stats count, the rest is only superfluous. And the more you put stats out, the more you dilute the main ones. There's only about six main ones. And I just watched the match the Ireland final last week. And in fairness, if I was to analyze it and be over one of the teams, I would say their strike rate on the stats, on all of their stats was very, very poor, I was taught. That's just a, a commentary. And that's not being arrogant. I think what are the six? Stuff. Well, first of all, how intense were you? What's your intensity level like? How do you measure it? What do you do to measure it? Right? How intense were Cork the last day? Your positions on the field. Like Limerick looked brilliant the last day. They looked absolutely brilliant. And they are a brilliant team. Take my hat off to them. But like, if you're not going to do the basics on the other side, and if you don't have a plan in there, you are going to be led up the line to a, to a slaughterhouse and you're going to be slaughtered. So you, if you don't have plans, two or three different plans to implement, 
Like, like I can tell you Lim Limerick's game plan. You strike it forward if you can, and you keep striking it forward into space. If you can't, you turn, and there's a man going to come on your shoulder. And he's going to come on a pose all the time. Hello? He's coming on a pose up here, and he's going to walk by here, take the ball, and he's going to play to a fella, and his corner back is 20 yards behind him, and it's going to be played in the space. He's going to put over the bar, and that's magic. I don't think it is. You know, you have to be able to make some effort to try and save yourself. So, like, I'm just saying, from our point of view, we were like any team, like Cork or anybody else, we had to try and come up with how we would do it. And, and we had to close down that game against Limerick in the Ireland final. We had to, we had to make it so difficult for the, us to be beaten that day. It wasn't like Offaly where we went at him. We, our, it was all about drive and speed that day against Offaly. We went up there to play fast, hard, and move the ball all the time. And I, I've no regrets about any of that. They do the same again tomorrow with that particular team. I think it was the right thing for them. So, look... It's so the other parts of it are hooking, hooking and blocking are, the, are, the, are, are, are major points from my point of view. The next thing is space. You know, you can't zonal mark and hurling, even though I hear Phyllis talking about it, uh, the, the analysts talking about zonal marking and hurling. Now, the last day against Cork, they all went to one side of the field and the goalkeeper put the ball down to the corner forward. And the corner forward is in front of the full back. That's nothing to do with technical ability. That was a foot race. Nothing to do. That's nothing to do with hurling. It was a foot race. Who won the foot race? He won the ball and he put it over the bar three times in a row. That's a foot race. He wasn't a great, he might be a good hurler, but you know, if you saying Bolt is going to give me 90 yards of a lead, I'll beat him over 100. Like, you know, it's as, as, as mad as that. Next thing, then, a measure you're asking about the measures is who oh, yeah. fouled the most. Every single match that we fouled the most, we lost it. And every single match we fouled the least, we won it. And now fouling has become part of the game plan of some teams. Foul them. Cynical fouling. And that's why I'm delighted to bring in the cynical fouling. And you know what's cynical? What's really cynical? Block them in the half-back line. Foul them there. And don't let, the, don't let the momentum build up on the move. Now, I'm delighted that we went for the different side. We went for the positive side. Stay disciplined, right? Like, my point in, in meetings were, listen, there's guys in China and there's guys in Japan stand up in front of each other and they bow. They can go within an inch of killing each other and then they bow and walk away. And it was just a bit. They don't have to kill the guy to win it. They don't have to eat his blood and drink his blood and chew him up. Oh, okay, you're after winning. You're winning on your, on your ability. So from our point of view, because you're a great defender, uh, you're a great defender, that is an absolute magic skill. I love watching the Italians play football. I think they're great defensively, but they're also great on attack when they want to be. For a time, they went really stayed on their defensive side. That's why I love Liverpool, watching Liverpool at this day. I'm not a particular fan of any club, but I love the way Liverpool play football. They want to score, and they want to score. And I think I was the game, but the art of defending is absolutely imperative in the game as well. So I think you've got to make sure that that's an honourable thing to do, to want to be the best at discipline. I think it's an honourable thing to do. And if you're playing a game to a high honour and to something that's up there as a desirable way to do it, I'm proud of that. I'm not proud of telling a fella, pull him down. It's too late. You know what I mean? So we had to get those things right. So we won, the, the, we, uh, no, we lost no game that we fell the least in. It didn't matter who we were playing. So that proves to me, and I still stand over that tomorrow if we strain the team again. I go back on discipline again. This thing of 30 points and 24 of them got from a free. Like, for example, this year, 134 TJ Reid scored against us in two matches. 134. Now, 
I don't care if they think we're Neanderthals. I'm goddamn certain of one thing, that he wouldn't have got 134 against, uh, against that Wexford team in two matches. I can tell you that. And DJ Kerry didn't get 134. And neither did anybody else in that team get it. You can't just give fellas 134 and expect to win two matches. How can you do that? How? Just giving Usain Bolt 100 yards odd and you trying to beat him from behind. It's just absolutely, it doesn't add up to logic. So if somebody can persuade me, oh, that makes sense. Well, I, I don't see, well, like I'd say, well, show us the money. Did you win? Get your team so good that they're not conceding freeze as well. Not, not living off a given away freeze in, in the wrong areas. So look, because that's dishonest anyway. And I'm not being holier than thou, but it is dishonest. Anyway. Yeah. Give me wound up now. <laughs> you spoke was, you sorry guy you go ahead i was i was going to go back to to Nee fitzpatrick and i'm just wondering when she was brought in was there any specific direction that she was given or was she just kind of let let go by herself and let her do her own thing or was, yeah, there, was there anything I, 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 in particular i'll answer that now i answer when i make a comment to just come into my head managing a team is hard work Looking after a team is hard work. But if you don't do hard work, you are absolutely, totally not giving your team a chance. So I think if you're going to take on a manager's job, don't take it on as a superfluous level. Take it off, sit down, write down, study, look at it, be coming into there completely prepared for what you want to achieve and having examined everything that you're going to do and do it the right way. Because if you're not doing it, you're a lazy whore. And you're not just doing your job. That's what you've got to do. You've got to examine it. Not just down to 80%, 90%, 110% and more. And I think that's just a mantra for how to manage a team. That's just my view based on my own experience of managing the teams, right? Now, so go on to Neve. Neve Fitzpatrick's job was to come in and look at our team, listen to us, understand what we were trying to achieve, understand what our game plan was going to be like, understanding how that game plan was going to work, understanding how the stats worked, understanding how that had to be delivered and how, that, how to make that be delivered. And so that I'm talking to you now, she can read my mind and say, this is what they're trying to do. That's what they're trying to do. And spelling it out and saying, do you understand that? Do you understand what we're trying to do? Do you really understand why we need to do that? Because that's the difference between winning and losing. Now, Neil Fitzpatrick did the Mayo football team. And she brought them, and she did some work with that Mayo football team. They went to Crow Park to win the game by five points. And what you call him, I can't think of his name now, I'll think of it in a minute. He goes over and gets a red card when the Dublin fellow was going to get the red card himself for, for the foul he'd committed. And he goes over, loses it. Mayo lost. Right? That'll never be forgotten by that chap. He fouled after the ball and got himself a red card in the final and Mayo won it by five points in short time. Dublin took over after the game was over. Now, so everything that Neve had done in terms of that team was gone in that flash, gone. The discipline was lost, finished. Why did that happen? Did the management back the, 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 the it's no good to say, don't be fouling. What's that mean? Don't be fouling. That's the same as winning is one thing. It's not, it's not, it's, not, it's the only thing and all that stuff. Cliches, measure it and tell them back why you don't foul. And that's it. But what's his name again? Vaughn, I think was his name. And he, he, he committed that foul that day. And I remember thinking, cause I knew Neve was in the dugout thinking, I'd say Neve must be absolutely going to the floor, gutted, because they're going to lose this game. And they did afterwards. So I'm just saying 
She knew exactly what we wanted to do because we spelled it out what we were trying to do. And she understood what we were trying to do on the hurling field. And she understood when fouls we were given away when she saw the ref blowing a whistle. And she was able to go back then and concentrate because she knew all the tenants and the pillars that we were trying to go in there. And they're two fancy words. They were just our, they were just our, our culture that we were trying to keep going. And that's it. And we played, played, played by that template. So she was well briefed and she knew what she was doing and she was brilliant. And because she had good emotional intelligence, she understood and she was she did an inquiring mind as well. She wanted to know. She wanted to know why are you doing this? That was that, that was it. And so she was well briefed and she had the ability to pick it up and do it and run with it. You spoke before about Martin Story being such a talent, like right, and you wanted to alter the tactics of the team to try get the best out of Martin. What were those specific tactics that you did to try get the best out of Martin to help him? Well, I knew early on that someday we'd play awfully. And their half-back line was Kevin Martin, Hubert Rigney, and uh, Brian Whelan. They were the best three half-backs at that time in the country. Collectively, you were the best half-back line in Ireland by a mile. Collectively. Individually, as hurlers, only uh, Brian Whelan would have been the supremo. But I went to watch them play in matches. Uh, I went to watch them play a leash. I went to watch them play a few matches. Because I wanted to study that half-back line, because they were really good. And I went to look at them and, and I just said to myself, these fellas don't even know what they're doing here in terms of how they're playing. It's all become all automatic, which is the best way to have it, by the way, that you just do it automatically. So they were filling in behind each other when the ball was coming down in case they missed it, they're behind. They aren't actually paying major attention to their own man. They were having an eye on him, but they were watching for the breaking ball. They could read their own player. I could see that they could read their own player, that he was either good enough to get it or he wasn't. And if he's going to miss it, they were in behind to cover him. And that was the same with Kevin Martin. So what we needed to do playing awfully, and that's why I give you this as an example, we needed to break that line. There's a line of those fellas there, and they were always playing in the line, but they'd, they'd fall off the line. So what we wanted to do was, Martin Story never got too many scores off of Offaly uh, in matches before that match in 96. So what we did was, we only played with five five actual forwards uh, on, on most of the puckouts. Some of the puckouts we didn't because we weren't going to bring them out. But Rory McCarthy, we identified him as a fella that was small, very quick steps, and a great turn of pace, and above all, a fantastic first touch. So we wanted to bring Rory out the field, go out the field and turn around and take his man with him. Now, he needed to be clever, and that's the reason why we want him to do that. He was clever, great, great clever brain, great emotional intelligence. If you're going to start running out like an Egypt out to the middle of the field, you were back to let you go after a while and he won't follow you. We need you to bring him with you as you go out. Then when you turn, you go straight down the middle. Forget your, you're no longer a number, you know, no, no, number 10. You are now turning around and heading straight down the middle for the black spot. And when you go that, we all know you're coming down the middle and everyone on the side knows that you're coming down the middle. So if we get the balls in the wings, if we let that ball go hard and fast across the middle, you've got the ability to pick that ball. Now you run a hundred times, you might not get a goal, but you might run once and you might get the goal that's going to win an Ireland for us. And that's what we, we need you to do. So coming up. Now that left then that the ball could be poked over his head. So he had to get his timing right so he could whisper his man out so that he'd be gone far enough that the ball would go over his head. Martin Story then would get all that space so long as Tom would stay in and not come out to cover the space. So Martin Story then had the chance to get onto the ball and pick it up and strike it. Now, Martin will, will under, remember this. I had been watching Martin and he used to jump up trying to strike a ball. 
And I was trying to say to him, Martin, you, you're not getting those balls over the bar because once you leave the ground, you've lost that real control. You think you haven't, but your body, it's, it's, it's physics or whatever that it is. Your body is, is doing one thing and the ball is going the other way. So we need you grounded to get your shot off so that it'll, it'll work. Um, we need you to be able to go straight for the corner flag if you have to and still put it over the bar. So like he got the freedom. So that half forward, anyway, Larry Murphy needed freedom as well. But anyway, just on that, we decided that on the Leinster final that we would make war on the Offaly half-back line. And that was my point in the game plan. We're going to make war on the Offaly half-back line. And Tom Dempsey, I think, said, Liam, I think that's a great idea. They're just three all-stars. I said, sure, that's it, Tom. That's where we're going to make war there. That's where we're going to make war. That's where we're going to start this battle. And Rory went out and the boys got 13 points from play. And we hadn't scored three points off that half-back line before. I think very little anyway, but we got 13 points, I think, or 12 points from play from that halfback line that day because we decided we were going to go for this line and we're going to try and beat that line because that was their, their moral authority. It was their enforcing ability. It was everything. And in the All-Ireland final, semi-final, Rory McCarthy got one of the best goals seen in Crow Park. He picked the ball on the, on the way in and he didn't take it in his hand and he struck it beside his ear and he put it in the top of the net. And that gap goal when the, when got us into the Ireland final. An absolutely brilliant goal because he was running down the middle, running down the middle, running down the middle and pick it, and just picked that ball on the move and it didn't break stride. And also, he wasn't a great big lump of a lad coming in to hop off a lad's inside. He was small. He was, you know, gone. He's the will-o'-the-wisp job. And he got that goal. And he was brave as a pike staff for a small man. So, like... That's just one coming together of those two plans. But creating that space is what we needed to do without anybody noticing it. It wasn't all very noticeable. And in the meantime, you've got the full back line playing from the front to the back and Damien Fitzhenry being ready to be a sweeper as it would be. Now, sometimes on a high ball, you'll see the Wexford guys behind the man, but they were attacking the ball 90% of the time or 80% of the time when it was going in. So, like, so that line was doing it that way. Our half back line, what we had done was we'd forbidden them to pull in a high ball only for Liam Dunn. Only fella could pull in a high ball in the air was Liam Dunn because the others weren't good at it. They just weren't good at it. And it couldn't be, he was a, a strike rate of maybe seven or eight out of ten uh, on a high ball it went to pull. So he either had to catch it or bat it. 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 So therefore, you know, you had two options coming down because this thing of poking around with a hurl and doing nothing with it, what good is that to us? Catch it or bat it. Now the midfield knew we were going to catch it or bat it. So therefore, they were to come in. They were to stand back and come back to be under the to, to be ready for the breaking ball. Uh, so, so like these are little things, but they were good plans and they were working and they worked a treat for us. To be quite honest with you, all across the the, the whole area. Like, so then we had Billy Byrne who was going to come in to be the game changer. It was low ball to Gary Laffin early on. And by the way, if Gary Laffin had got the goals that he nearly got in the Ireland final, we'd have walked out of there very quickly. We'd have won that game in a, in a, in a canter. There were some great saves made by Joe Quaid at the end of the goal. And Larry Murphy had a great ball dropped as saved as well. So like, but, but when we took Larry off, or Gary off, we changed to a high ball. And we put a high ball in from the middle of the field. And Billy Byrne's job was to catch, touch and bang. Catch, touch and bang. Catch, touch, and bang. And we did that. We practiced it, you know. Catch, touch, bang. Not You don't have to go around and start picking out a, a spot in the goal. Drill it. Drill it. And 90% chance it went to the net. And that won at the Kenny game for us. Because um, Pat DeWire was on an all-start that day. He was catching balls all over the place. 
So we waited and waited and waited to the right moment. And we introduced uh, Billy Byrne and Flynn then his job was to deliver that per the perfect pass into Billy Byrne. And he did. Billy caught it, touch, bang, goal. So those goals, that goal, the goal against Algarve, they were got from a lot of work and a lot of thought process. But just because they happened doesn't mean that they didn't get a lot of work to get to make them happen. Yeah, it seems like the attention to detail and just the focus on on certain players' strengths and weaknesses. Like I, I also heard you talking about banning Rory McCarthy from contesting high balls because he wasn't good in the air. So yeah. just just the way you, like you identified, okay, you're good at this, so you can do this. You're not good at this, so you can't do this, but you are good at this, so yeah, you get the ball, you run with it. You get a high ball, you're not you're not pulling on it in the air, you're catching it or batting it. Yeah. But then we knew what the player was going to do. So we knew that they're going to back catch that or bat it. And, and 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 you're not to do it. You're forbidden from doing it. That's it. What and happens? If they, what happens? If, like, was there punishments when they if they did go and do something they were, they weren't meant to, or especially in we'd training probably, or something? We probably put it up on the on the on the board and a big ring around it for for for. for but we never had to. That's the fact. We never because they bought into it. They knew. But doesn't it make their lives more simple? I have to catch it or I have to bat it. I'm not going to be sitting there wondering: Am I going to pull? Am I going to not pull? What am I going to do? This is only two options here. I catch this now or I bat it. And that, that's your option. I catch it or I bat it. And therefore, everybody else knows what you're going to do. It's simple. You're just giving them a, you're giving them a plan and, and everyone's living with it. But if we hadn't had those plans, we wouldn't have done. We, what could we have done? We wouldn't have won any other. We weren't good enough to win it by just all we're going to hurl. We needed to hurl certain, in certain ways and we need to look at every team and hurl them differently. Can you repeat any of the jokes that Larry O'Gorman told in the no, dressing room before this? Remember. I can't even remember them. But, like, but Larry O'Gorman was a godsend. Uh, we dropped Larry. <laughs> we dropped Larry um, for... Um, he, we played meet again the following year. This is funny. We played meet the following year up in Thrym. And we had a game plan, and this is what we're going to do. And the hammer is last year in Wexford Park, didn't have us to beat us. We need to show that was a fluke. It was a rotten day and it had been rained. The pitch was like a, a very, very heavy. So uh, I said to, to Larry, you are not to pick a ball with, your, with one hand. You've got to put your two hands in the hurl and get that ball up there. Not be there rooting it with one hand and trying to insist on doing it. So anyway... Um, he was going after this ball and he was pushing it along like a spoon. It wouldn't come up for him. And I just said, Larry, come here. Two hands on the hurl. We can't make mistakes, right? Because if we do that mistake here, you're going to make it in Crow Park. And then the other thing too was not to be over solo, right? So, because he used to run into traffic sometimes and the ball would be taken off him. So anyway, I don't know. But uh, we were going, we were going and he kept doing it. So it, it came to close to half time, And I called him and said, Larry, I'm not going to tell you anymore, right? Anyway, so Billy Burner and Billy Byrne said, for Jesus' sake, Larry, will you do what you know? Anyway, we did dress him and I said, Larry's coming off. Uh, so and so, so and so. And he says to me, oh, Jesus, Lee, why am I going off, eh? I said, Larry, listen to me. I told you you're not to do that. I told you not about the solo. You're going to do that in Crow Park. If you do that in Crow Park, you're going to get us beaten again. You're not to do it. And that's all there's to it. No hard feelings. You're coming off. That's it. And you probably won't be starting the next day. Okay, that's all right. So anyway. He says, but we're winning by 17 points. 
I said, that's nothing to do with it, Larry. You're not getting the message. So we dropped them for the Offaly game in the, in the Leinster in the quarterfinal. Now, you can imagine the supporters, what they were thinking. Jeez, they've dropped Larry O'Gorman, like, off the team for the quarterfinal. Are they out of their mind, like? And, if, and Damien Fitzherry's playing wing back. Jesus Christ almighty, should these fellas are some gobshites? Anyway, Larry wasn't bad at it. And there was a fellow from Wexford called Boogie Woogie Woogie. He used to wear a Wexford flag all the time. And he got behind me anyway. Hey, Liam Griffin, where are Larry away? <laughs> all this was going on behind. And every time, every time anyone make a mistake, bring on Larry O! And this was going on nonstop. Anyway, we brought on Larry, I think, in the second half. I'm not, I'm not sure now what's the second half, but we brought him on anyway. And he never, ever tried any of that again. Now, but he loved what he was doing so much that he now knew, just these guys are serious. I mightn't be on the team anymore. So when it came to Crow Park, he was going around saying to everyone, Jez, lads, I love this. I love, Jez, we're going to play now. I love this. I'm going to play now. Final. Other fellas kind of might be worrying. Larry was saying, I can't wait to get out there to play the other final, which was great. So anyway, everyone was very quiet. And I said, Larry, right, come on. Too much, too much big gloomy faces here. Get up there and tell a few jokes, Larry. Oh, not thinking whether he could do it or not. Up he hops anyway. He starts. And then he's this one, lads, and away he went. And I don't know. And everyone started roaring, laughing, but it was nervous laugh. Everyone was kind of thinking, this is ridiculous, you know. But anyway, it worked and it kind of killed the, it killed the kind of uh, the, the tension. Because we were trying to go to enjoy ourselves, because that's what we set our mind to do. That was part of the plan. We're going to enjoy the day. That's what we're going to do. We're only going to hear here. Maybe we'll never be here again. And neither were we. Which I remember listening to you before saying that from when you were five till when you were 19, Wexford contested half of the All-Ireland Hurling finals there were. Yeah. Obviously, Pat Nolan's time, we were as a, a golden age in Wexford Hurling. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think that that kind of left us and now we're, you know, if we if we made one for you, as we said, one one All Ireland in fifty years or something, yeah. why do you think we we're back that far from where we well, were? First of all, um, just remember this now, and you're young guys, and I won't be around too much longer. So I'm just saying this. Look, uh, I had the most idyllic childhood. I was the luckiest chap, uh, you know, alive. I always believed I was. I had two fantastic parents who were mad into hurling as well, by the way. And I, my father was clear, man. They were the greatest people of all time. They were so, so, such good people, such high moral standards and everything else. They were great people. And my father was a guard. I was born in Ross Clare Strand. I was born in Laburnum and Kalina Gory. That's where I was born. But it was, I was, it was my mother's house. Uh, and I, I was reared in Rostler Strand. I was living in a place overlooking the sea, Tusker Lock Lighthouse shining in, in my room every day of the week. And I had two great brothers that I love to bits. And to this day, we have we've a Zoom call every, uh, or a WhatsApp call every Sunday night. Hurling and football in Wexford. We were the kings of the world in terms of hurling at that stage when I was a child. So I was mad into the game. So I was... Born into this. I had such respect for the Wexford Hurlers. There was no television. There was nothing like that. So these men were giants to me. And 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 like we were going to league matches, myself, my dad, and my mom, and we we're going to all the Wexford matches. And it was a carnival from morning to night for me as a child because we were we were there. We were at the top of our game. We were from Wexford. Now we won the 1960 All-Ireland, and I uh, that was my first All-Ireland because I was too young for the other All-Irelands because 
the crowds and so forth. So I walked into De La Salle College in Waterford, where my father had a cousin teacher or whatever, with a hurl in my hand. And Wexford were the Ireland champions. And I remember walking in the door thinking, I'm from Wexford. I'm the main man here. I didn't say it like that. But I'm from Wexford. I come from this great place. And, and we have the best hurlers in the world. And, you know, we had the records and we... You know, you had Billy and Nicky, Bobby Rackard. My God, Colossus of Men, Nick O'Donnell from, you know, fullback. And, you know, you had Ned Wheeler, who I became great friends with over my lifetime, middle of the field, Jim Morrissey, Podge Kehoe, you know, Nicky Rackard up front. These men were just like, just to use the modern people, they were the Limerick team. They were Manchester United. They were Real Madrid. They were Eusebio. There were, you know, Pele, there were Messi, there were all of those things for a young lad like me in my head. And so my own other, other people around me were the same. So that is the, 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 the kind of place that I, I was that I was brought up in. And when Wexford paraded around the pitch, and if you look at the old footage of the Wexford teams parading around the pitch, they were fabulous. And they actually marched so beautifully. That's why I was mad at myself that they didn't take off the helmets. So that, that, I was reared on this. I was reared on being Crow Park for great days. So how would you not be passionate? And then you'd have two cousins on the team. You know, John, Pat Nolan arrives on the goal. And for me, this was absolutely amazing. This is, you know, this is a relation. He's playing on the team. And then John Nolan comes on for his first championship match, mind. That's how confident Wexford were there. It was an all and final. He was put Mark and Jimmy, Jimmy Doyle, who was one of the great icons of the, of the time. So... That was that's that's what was feeding in, into into my soul. Uh, so so that's what would drive you to want to do something to say I'm not going to accept that we should be at the bottom. Because yes, from five to nineteen, we're almost all the islands. We were we, we you know we contested half of them. So and, and we didn't win as many as we could have won. But fifty one, the last fifty four, the last fifty five, the one fifty six and sixty didn't win again to sixty eight. But to win all those Ireland finals and Leinster finals and winning Leinster all the time around the stage. So that's a massive searing of your own brain that, that, that makes you want this to happen again. Why didn't we do it? Because we didn't move on. We didn't move on. We didn't put in a plan. Limerick were going nowhere until they put in a plan. They had a thing called raising the treaty and they did it. Now, a son of mine, he was doing his master's at the time, did a study on Wexford Hurling versus all other counties and came up with a lot of good information for us. It's been worked on today and that's why we've got 365, hurling 365. But we didn't have a plan. So if we went out to play hurling and we didn't have a plan, what would we win? The answer is nothing. And the answer is, what did we win? And the answer is nothing. How can you put George O'Connor, a colossus of a man, prepared to put his body on the line and not win a single medal in 17 years? Not a single medal. What a waste of a resource like. What a waste of a resource. Damien Fitzhenry, probably the best goalkeeper in Ireland at the time, might never have won an Ireland medal. Do you know what I mean? But we just didn't have a plan of how to get there. And the plan has nothing to do with the senior team. Absolutely zero. The zero, it's the, and that's why I joined the Club Players Association, for which I'm detested by even some of the former county chairmen in Wexford to this day. And I did nothing wrong. There was nothing in it for me, only hardship again. But the bottom line is I had a belief in it. And I believed if we didn't get a plan for Wexford hurling and we didn't get the, a better order on inter-county and club matches that Wexford were going to go nowhere. Because where we were, where we needed to go is 
the, the quality of your underage will decide your future. The quality of your underage decides your future. So therefore, the most important thing in Wexford Learning is not the senior team. It's not Davy Fitzgerald. It's not Liam Griffin. The quality of the, what we're delivering at the bottom and the quality of our coaching and what they're going to do for youngsters and what they're going to make. They're entitled to know the joy that I knew by good systems and by a good place to be. That Wexford could be the greatest place to shine as a hurler in Ireland. Why not? That's only the lack of our will or our vision. And that's why we need to be able to put plans together that are going to deliver from seven, eight, nine, ten years all the way to the top. And not it's about developing the players, not trying to win the, the, the Arabon or not trying to win the, the, what you call it, the Tony Forrestal. It's about developing a, a, a mass of young players, because in one of the studies I was doing, it said it would take approximately 5,000 tennis players to make one John McEnroe. 5,000. You'd need 5,000 to be playing tennis to come out with a fella of the quality of John McEnroe. And I read that in one of those things I got from Canada. So it's about the volume, keeping the volume, keeping the clubs, keeping the clubs vibrant and keeping the clubs going and having good underage structures everywhere and having structures that are going to develop the game of hurling and giving everybody a chance to play the game. How many people in Mike's never got a chance to even play hurling? How many players do we get out of the towns? How many players have we got out of the towns over all the years? You know, in relative terms, relative to population. So that's where we need to keep our concentration if we ever want to get back to compete. Raising the treaty is a plan being delivered by Limerick and uh, uh, the Rebel Oak is the one that's delivering Corum. So we need that. And I know now that the county board are working on it. And the quality of that will decide what all Ireland's will win in the future. And we also need training for coaches and managers. And we need to bring them straight in. I'd love to stay involved, but look, uh, you know, it, I, I just think that you know, we need to be addressing things differently rather than, than thinking that the same old, same old, same old will do. No, it won't do. We need to learn from all of the stuff that everybody else is doing. And we need to know what's going on in every other county. And we need to know why we're not able to match it. We need to know why we're not able to match it. You look at Limerick at the moment. You've got three universities in the town. They've got Mary I, Teacher Training College. They've got UL and they've got LIT. Look at the ad for Alan Galan uh, walking up along the middle of this, uh, this uh, uh, pitch. Uh, before the All-Ireland final. And all I'm thinking is, look at the facility. An almost full GA pitch with a roof on it. So there's all of those facilities. Plus, they've got J.P. McManus bankrolling him. And he's bankrolling him now on the basis of performance, by the way. He's not just throwing money at them. Performance is going to be measured. Now, I, I think that's where they are. More looked at them, right? It's up to us to match it with something that can, can match it and put a plan together that can match it. If they're the template, then we must be able to say, can we measure up to what they're doing? Are we putting all the right things in place to make sure that we have that? Because I think we're a bit laid back in Wexford. And that, you know, you know we, we're not given to being overpassionate a lot of the time. We're not given to be that way. But like, you have to care really that much to be really that passionate to deliver. But we need that. And we need leadership of the county board. Never mind all this infighting and nonsense that might go on. I'm not suggesting it is going on. But we need people of vision to be county chairman and to want to drive this forward and to make sure that we are as good as the best. But that's not good enough. We've got to be better than the best. Because you're only aiming for as good as the best, you'll come up short. So you've got to be aiming to be the best in class and hopefully... We're on the road to getting some of that done now at the moment through the plans they're putting in through underage. And they are the area that you, if you want to know why we're not doing well, go back and look at underage. Do you think we're on the right track then? Because you've mentioned already Hurling 365, which has been 
around for a while now. And then this year, we actually had Ray Harris and Seamus Casey on to talk about the, the Wexford way, the, the, the player pathway, yeah. which is the document. And that's for all, all the coaches as well. And Ray Harris was t- talking to us about how they're not only looking after players, but they're, they're training, they're getting people from all the clubs to train them in how to coach and how to, yeah. how to work on that document. Yeah, no, look, that's fantastic. And Ray Harris is doing a great job, by the way. And we have some great guys in there. But we need we need to make sure that that there's there's one Ray Harris is not enough. The Ray Harris's, we need to multiply them Ray Harris's by Ray Harris's by Ray Harris's by Ray Harris's or whoever is going to be the best in class. And they need to be, they need to be, we need to be making sure that we're giving them coach education. And we need to be able to try and say that they are driven and want to do the job. And they really are driven to do the job. And if they're not driven to do the job, we really don't want them to do the job. Because I think a bad coach is not just a bad coach. He's a bad example. And he's, he can, he'll do more damage. So you need the coaches to be able to be measured by a standard and stay at that standard. But you need them to be wanting to be at a higher standard all the time. Because if they don't all want to be Wexford on a higher standard, you won't get to the higher standard. And that's, and that's it. So I think we're looking for men of passion. They don't have to be brilliant hurlers, by the way, but they need to have a brilliant understanding of what they need to do. They don't have to be brilliant hurlers. Like, this is not um, an exclusive club for serious hurlers that were very good. There's some, some hurlers that wouldn't be great coaches like. They just wouldn't be, right? And some hurlers are just mad to do well themselves, but they don't have a passion to make everybody else do well. So that that fire in their belly to want every I mean, Wexford is the project, like not not the individuals. Wexford is the project, and Wexford is bigger than everybody, and, and 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 that's as I see it. Now, but we're lucky with what we have there at the moment, and uh, and Michal Martin is doing a good job in relation to putting the plan together. Now, I I can't comment on the quality of the people he's bringing in. Only time will tell how good they are. But if there's people there that are getting this exposure to good education, coach education, they should grasp it with both hands and have a passion for doing it. You know, like we're not in the business of providing jobs, soft, cushy jobs for fellas just coach them when they, feel, when they feel like it. They've got to want to be driving it forward themselves, don't they? They've got to want to say, lads, we're not doing enough. We're just not doing enough. We need to get more, get into it more and, 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 and kind of champion fellas that are like that. And, and they're talking sense at the same time. And we need to have a culture. We need to have a culture in how we play. I, I mean, like, look at Cork last Sunday at the weekend. I mean, like, Cork went out and played their own game. It looked like they didn't bother about playing the game that was going to counteract Limerick. But sure, it's like going out to box, uh, like Tom Dempsey walking into fellas getting punched. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you just don't walk into the fellas' fist. Like, Tom should have tackled Collier from behind, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> he didn't have a good game plan. Uh, now, in his in his victory speech, Martin Story referred to you as the Messiah. Yeah. In your late regale there, Vincent Hogan described you as an evangelistic figure. How do you how do you respond to those descriptions of you? Well, I'll be honest with you. Like I used to look in the mirror every day, right? I did, a go- I did a good job. I'm not suggesting I didn't do a good job. I worked hard. I worked like a savage to, uh, on that job. And I, and I did savage hours because I was working in my own business as well. But I wanted to do this. I just really wanted to do this. I wanted to do the best I could do. And so, so I was driven to do it. But I wasn't playing. I, I wasn't playing. 
any manager that tells you that he is the great God and that he can do it all, the biggest danger with a manager is he thinks he knows everything. I don't think I know everything. I still don't know everything. I never will. But like, you have to be able to say, I don't know that. I'm going to get someone else to come in here now and do that. If I was going to try and keep doing the sports psychology, I had to know the timing of when to bring somebody in as well. So like, I don't deserve the credit that I've got, to be honest with you. And I didn't deserve the criticism I was getting as well when I was getting it. But I took that in good faith. I wasn't going to start making that rows with people around Wexford. And that's only a sideshow. Wexford project was much higher, much more important than that. So what I'm saying is that I know I'm happy in my own skin. I I, 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 I would have loved to have played in one other and final. I would have loved to have done it. Now, I was I was captain of my two team in school and I played in the Hearty Cup finals and I, and I played well. I played for two counties and I was gone by the time I was 21. I was gone away. I was. I knew I was handy, and I knew when I cried going to to Switzerland when I was leaving Clare. I suddenly realised my career is over. I'm done. I'm done. I'm finished. And Harlem uh, was more important to me than school. And I'm saying that you know straight. I'd have rather get on the Wexford team than uh, than get the leaving cert or the inter cert or primary cert. You know what I mean? I, I at that stage I was consumed by Harlem and football. I love football as well. I love both, and that's why. In the club players association we tried to get split seasons and tried to get it so that we could get some benefit back to our own county for that and yet to be pilloried in your own county for trying to do that seems a bit strange but that's life that goes on but from that point of view i'm just saying you know i know who i am and i know that i played my part but the part that i played didn't win the all Ireland. nicky english is a great friend of mine and we'll talk a lot well, I talk a lot and he listens. <laughs> no, no, it's not true. He's, we don't. We both talk. I listen to Nicky now. For I would because I, he's a great guy and he's a great friend of mine. Now, Nicky, when I say that to him, that like, like Nicky, the managers don't win matches. They never win matches. He said, okay, all right. You're going on about that forever. A, a good manager won't win you one. Let's agree this. But a bad one will lose you one. I said, I agree with that. That makes sense. And he said, that's what I think. A good one won't win you one but a bad one will lose you one, right? And that that's actually probably the right way to say it. Calling me a messiah, like uh, Martin was very generous to me in that, and that thing, but no, I, 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 didn't, I did a good job, but I had a fantastic team around me. And I tell you this, this thing, and I've said it several times to people, the hardest thing to do is not, uh, the hardest thing to find, or the best ability is not to, to, to look for talent, it's to be able to identify talent. Do you know what I mean? If you're able to go out there and look in a field and suddenly see fellas playing and saying, that guy there has something. You know what I mean? Identifying talent is a trick. Now, when you start to coach, and I, I went to a coaching course before I ever started coaching. And when you go to a, co a good coaching course and you start to learn about things, you, uh, you see things differently in matches and you see things, the talent identification is nearly everything. And there's fellas that are raw kind of players that you could make great players of if you could only just get them on side and, and, and work with them and get them to look at it differently. He says, just letting them out free like a young horse. Like if you had a horse in the field and he was a good jumper, like, but he was a bit wayward in his jumping, you'd go about trying to settle him up. I'm watching Niall, my own son, training horses and seeing how he, you know, and he's training the most dangerous sport in the world, eventing, and seeing how he's trying to find a stride going into a fence. But those horses need to be trained to do that. And yet they're natural animals to jump. You know what I mean? So you, why not the same with a fellow that's good talent? You can say, look, at, you can talk to him. You can't talk to the horse. You know, you can talk to him and say, look, at, you can do this this way. And you can do this this way if you can identify the talent. And I'm telling you, we've had a lot of raw talent in Wexford that we lost. I'm probably going to disagree with you on 
on the statement about a good or a manager can't win you in All Ireland, but uh, he could lose you in All Ireland because I don't think I I, I I don't think without you, Exford would have won that All Ireland. So I'm I'm not I do agree with you that it was the players and it was the team that you put together with Rory with the uh, with Neve with James Barron and Sean Collier. So yeah. it was a collective thing, but I mean, you were a huge part of it, and I don't think without I, you. Yeah, no, I don't want it. No, I'm not going to try to be so falsely modest either. I'm very proud of the team I picked. I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of Sean Collier. I'm absolutely. I can't put into words how proud I am of fellas like Sean Collier. Sean Collier is an icon to me at this stage. He's just a fantastic guy, right? And he's from my place. He knew nothing about hurling, right? But he went in there, and he again had fantastic emotional intelligence. He could walk in there as a young man. And he's late in his mid twenties, like, and take over a team of holders that he knew nothing about, and be a guiding light to them and train. And then you know, sometimes I'd say to Sean, "You need to, you need to just get stuck in there a few times and just maybe just take up the front of the lead there and start when on the on the runs, and uh, embarrass the boys." <laughs> no, no, not like that. Uh, you, but, you've been like, here now, and <laughs> you need to get stuck in here now. Pick a player. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not talking about showing how showing yeah. how it could be done, and show, and showing what training meant. Now, don't forget, I brought in Billy Walsh, Pat Whitney, a cyclist, John Joe Doyle, a vet, a vet, a vet athlete, and who else did I bring in uh, to speak to the players, right, and to tell them what type of training they did and what they had to do to get to the end of sport. So. The, the Billy, Billy, Billy Walsh was really impressive. This is now 25 years ago. So Billy came in, or more, 26 or 7 years ago. So Billy came in and ta- he talked his talk and told us why he gave up hurling and football and wanted to concentrate on boxing because he could control his own destiny, boxing. He wasn't dependent on Phyllis. He got pissed in the crown bar of a Saturday night and started to try to play football or hurling the next day. And he got sick and tired of that kind of stuff that half, half wanted to do it and one half didn't want to do it. So he went for boxing because he couldn't control it himself. He thought he'd go down to the boys made sure he, he didn't get to the Olympics on one occasion, but we won't go into that. So, like, but Billy was a great example of, of and what he was doing in training and what, what kind of a lifestyle he was trying to live to make it there, right? And uh, Pat Whitney was talking about cycling and uh, uh, go out of a, sun, of a Sunday morning on just a tour for, for a spin and a drive from Roster Harbour to Arklow, back to Bunclody and back to Roster Harbour again. You know what I mean? John Joe Dye was talking about the training regime that he was doing. So, like, all that stuff adds to what's happening there. So it's the collective thing. I agree I played a part. I'm not suggesting I didn't, but you, you could easily start to get fully your own uh, your own thing, only for me, that it would not. Now, I, I can't look at it like that because I know it's not the truth because he, I, I, we couldn't have gone anywhere without John Collier, without Neve, without John O'Leary, without Rory Kinsley. And we were very united. We were absolutely so united. But everybody was told, do your own job. And the other thing is, we had a great system on the line, right? And the system on the line that we had was, we John O'Leary understand, no big noise, ringing down to Seamus, calling out numbers. So for example, we wanted to find out if there was someone dominating in a position that we weren't picking up, that John, John had write down seven. That's all I need to say to Seamus. Then Rory was a runner between me and Seamus and Rory said seven, yeah, we're on it, we're on to him, yeah, that's done. And would you be surprised when you don't have to worry about it, you'll spot it out quicker. If you're worried about what's happening now and where are we going or what's going on here, but if you've got the intelligence coming down to you, therefore you're getting back up for your own. What's going to, you don't need a fellow standing in your compositions like down to seven. And then 
we'd have the thing with Damien, you're going to turn the fell into an all-star if you start poking two balls in a row into his hand. Like, you know, you just can't do that. And then on the line, we didn't have committee meetings, right? We had an agreed system. I had the power of veto on the line. Now, and that wasn't for ego. That was to stop and avoid any big discussions. So that I didn't have to wind up because I'd been manager of extra football team and it just didn't work. You know, I, I, I was gone. I, I did, just was crazy stuff. And it was five selectors and we just couldn't agree. And they didn't agree with my training methods anyway. So they didn't really want me there. So it was difficult. So, and they were good people, but they, look, I was a young fella and they probably thought I was, uh, you know, an upstart or whatever. I don't know. They didn't have an upstart, but they thought maybe I was above my station. That's fine. And they were probably right, to be honest. But anyway, so... If we're going to have a committee meeting on the line or start this whole big round back and forward, back and forward, back and forward, we lose control of what we control. We're trying to control a team to play in a certain way and to try and hold the system together. So, therefore, if Seamus and Rory wanted to make a decision or if Seamus called Rory and said, listen, I think we should do so-and-so. If Rory come, would talk to him and come up to me and say, we think we should do so-and-so, so-and-so. 90% of the time, I agree with him. Yeah, I do. You're right. You're dead right. We'll do that now. Right? So, when we're picking the team, we never came to it in the end. It was the majority of all wins on picking the players. So three, three fellas to, to picking it. Up to each one of us to persuade fellas that your, your idea is right and why. Now, then the vote happens, and then all three of you have an equal vote. That's it. That's how the team gets picked. Now, that's giving everyone fair play. Now, on the line then, you can't have a discussion on the line like that. You just, just, you're going to lose doing that. So win or lose, let the manager take it in the neck. Right now, that's where you get the praise then, because you get the praise for everybody's work. So, if, when when we're bringing on, I I I would say, Rory, no, 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 we won't do that yet, but we will be doing it starkly. But the timing is not right yet. Just give us another minute. Wait till you see another high ball to pat the wire, and he's going to think he's on an all star. Then we'll introduce Billy. You know that type of thing, trying to get the timing right. But if you have that system built around you, you have time to think then about when am I going to do it? Not fight over going to do it. When am I going to do it? Do you know what I mean? So it's that detail. Now, yeah, okay. So we had the good systems, but we set up good systems to do what we were trying to do. But all of us then were the sum of our parts was the system. So yes, that's it. And I know where I stand in that, but I would say that I would never take from the players. They wouldn't be all learned. Not their management team. Their management team did its job, but they wouldn't be all learned. And that's a fact. That Wexford team that uh, from 95 and 96, um, it wasn't all about winning the All-Ireland. They actually really performed so well, and they deserve great credit for how they performed. They won every single competition that they went into. The Oireachtas, they won. They won two Welsh Cups. They won Waterford last tournaments. People might say that means nothing. It meant a lot because it was preparation for the championship. They won Leinster, and they won an All-Ireland. And they got to the National League semi-final. That's the only thing they didn't win was the National League. But I just think it wasn't just that they were All-Ireland champions. But they had won everything they went into. And I think that's to, to their eternal credit. And I think there were major achievers in that couple of years. And that was down to players again because they wanted to do it and they did do it. And I admire them greatly for what they did. Five years of Damien Fitzgerald. We had a lot of highs, few very bad lows. Was it the right time for him to move on? I think it probably was. Uh, I think he did the right thing. Because sooner or later, we have to take over our own destiny. But Davy has done something that, that is absolutely not been really 
realized we think because uh, that we are now in trouble but the big thing that we that david did was he got us into the first division so um liam ryan party foley kevin foley simon donahue all of the younger players they first their first point of entry was division one okay the point of entry is the most important point in sport in my opinion there's no point in going up to uh, going into London to run the Olympic Games if you can't have entered at a high level in Ireland at a, at a sport. Otherwise, you'll wind up not doing anything. So where's the point of entry? The point of entry for us has always got to be Division 1, right? So that the players are playing at the very top level. So that when they're introduced to the game, they're starting at the top level. Now, that's where the, young, the youngsters come into it, that they are being introduced and that we're coming in at the top level, that we're getting to Leinster minor finals, that we're getting to all Ireland 20 finals. I don't think it's that important to keep winning minor. I think it's more important to win 21 or 20 as it is now. So like that's the next stage where a fella can see a, a pathway into the next level. So that, that, that the points of entry. So if your minor team are struggling to beat teams on the way up, they need to be up at the elite level. They need to be getting to all Ireland quarterfinals. They need to be getting to all Ireland semifinals. They need to be getting maybe to an all Ireland final. Winning them is not absolutely vital. It's being at, at, at the entry level. And then the entry level at 20, you're still there. Now your entry to the senior level is at the elite level rather than being yo-yoing between the divisions that we've been doing for 40 and 50 years. Now, there is no punishment for any county board for us going back down to the lower divisions. And there's no punishment for the management team. We just change it all. So, but we need to have this down as a definite that we don't want to fall down below that. And our, our job is to get everybody up to being able to play, compete at the elite level and to give all the best teams a game of it. And then sooner or later, we'll make a breakthrough because the desire level will climb as you stay at the top. But the desire level will diminish as you drop to the bottom. So to keep the desire level up of our supporters as well, is to have that realistic system that fellas are trying to get, stay at the point of entry at the elite level. I did think that that was one of the great things that David did, but sure then they just restructured the league anyway, so we would, we would have been I know that, anyway, I know that, but, but there's a danger that they might start to do the league differently and you could get, the rele you could get relegated again. And there's a danger, look where Offaly went. Yeah. Offaly wound up three grades down. The, one of the greatest hurling teams, Offaly were the old, Offaly, were the new Wexford, actually. Offaly were the first team after us to make the breakthrough. Now, I have an issue with hurling anyway, and I have an issue with the GA over hurling. Hurling is an apartheid game. It's run. It's just only run on, a, on an apartheid system, right? For example, I believe, and I'm going to bring a motion to the convention this year, uh, uh, the, myself, that every by, 19, by 2025, every single GA club has to have a hurling team in a football game. And that's up to the GA to make sure that the structures are in place that they have. Why are fellas not playing their native game? There's counties that don't want people playing hurling. There's counties that don't have any hurling. Every boy, look at the child. I told you about my childhood. I was given this glorious chance. No one said I couldn't play football, by the way. And I played more football as a young fella. And I was beaten once in a Munster Championship match in all my time in De La Salle College. I was playing with lads that won all our senior football medals because we had a great football teams in my time in De La Salle. We were beating two all our semi-finals when I was playing, but it only lost one game of Munster. I love football, still love it, and I love hurling as well. So I was lucky to love both, but I got a chance to play both in Wexford, and that was a good thing about Wexford. But why don't other fellas get a chance to play hurling? Is it right 
that a fella in some part of Ireland doesn't know how to play his own game or he can't even get a chance to play it because there's no club that is a hurling team. So why aren't we obliged to produce a hurling team and a football team? Why not? Like, Why can't we say 2025, every team has to have a hurling team? Or if they don't, if they don't, that we've got some form of a system whereby uh, they, they are bound to have it or they have to amalgamate their club with another club so that they have a hurling team some way because the opposite is the case. So... And I think every boy in Ireland, not just in Wexford, is entitled to be able to play hurling in his own country. Like, like you can play hockey, you can go boxing, you can go to athletics, you can do what you like. But if your club doesn't have a hurling club in most places, you can't play any hurling in your own country. And no one thinks that's a disgrace. I think that's a disgrace. DJ Carey's father was from, from I don't know, Roscommon or somewhere. Like, you know... Hurlers, there's going to be, I was so delighted from that Zach, what you call him, that got a point for Leitrim to win an All-Ireland last year in the, in the, in the Lowry Mar. You know, a guy from Iraq got a point. And like, anybody can play hurling if they're just shown how to play it. And we can't, we can't go along saying, oh, the same teams dominate. Why wouldn't they if we're not going to spread the game? Why wouldn't you give a chance the joys of going out to a hurling ball and picking it up and driving 70 yards? It's just, you know, we take it for granted. The joy of going to a white ball on a fine day and sticking it over the bar from the middle of the field, boy, is that some that, like that's 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 it now. That you know, you won't take that from somebody here or jumping into the air and grabbing a high ball and turning around, selling a fella dummy, and then turning the other side and striking it 70 yards. Man, that's some stuff. You know, it's just brilliant stuff. And it's great to be able to do it. And thank God, thank God, I, I know that I got a chance to play in great games and good games and I had some fantastic games playing hurling and honest to God, it was brilliant. And I wound up in a great club in Clare, absolutely brilliant club. Yeah, you know, Newmarket and Ferguson won two Munster club championships. Never lost a game with them and I played with some great players. But look, it's just, it's such a wonderful game. That's what it is. And anybody who looks at it that way, but it's a shame that every boy in Ireland doesn't get a chance to play it. We, we won't go into it again, but I did, uh, I did, hear you talking about it before I was reading about it, about, you know, how the game is being promoted in other countries around the world. Yes, yeah. it's not being promoted in some of the some of the counties in Ireland and yeah. some of the and clubs in Ireland. I was but, asked uh, to do a coaching session in, in Seattle. I was over with the Entrepreneur of the Year programme. I'm involved in the Entrepreneur of the Year programme. And I was in, in Seattle, Washington. And I was asked, we we're going down from Vancouver, would I go down there and do, do a coaching session on Hurley? So I said, well, I will. Yeah, OK, if you want me to do it. So I went down there and they were following me down. The rest of the group were following me down. So I went down to do it. And I went into this field anyway, and there was one fellow with a Wexford jersey. The field, the grass wasn't cut. It was a council desk. It was, it was bad. But there was girls and boys all playing Hurley. And I think there was only there was there was Irish jerseys, and I said, "You're from Africa. Oh no, I'm not. I, I, this just this is just my jersey I got." There were all ninety percent uh, of them were not Irish, and of the ninety percent, I think seventy percent had never been in Ireland, but they just loved this game that they saw they were trying to play it. But they're going nowhere because there's no structure to it. They're playing in the field with the grass. You know, you you know, you could make silage with it. So, so it, was, it was just, it wasn't, wasn't on. And here we have our own fields and stadium and everything else. Um, and, and, and we're not bringing guys in to play the game. There was a school in Mayo where uh, a Wexford man was, was, was training Mayo there for a while. Uh, Frank Brown from Wexford, he's over there in the West and he's doing great work for hurling. But 
I discovered that I think it's Ballyhonis. The club next door to Ballyhonis uh, is only football. And the boys in that club played for Ballyhonis School. And then they started playing for Ballyhonis on hurling in the hurling team. And they were in the Connacht Championships in the hurling. But the Connacht Secretary brought in a rule the following year within the club that you could only play hurling for a club if you're a club of the hurling team. So the boys that were playing for Ballyhonis had to come back then. And there wasn't enough fellas in their club to play hurling because they didn't go to Ballyhonis schools for the rest of them. So they now wound up saying, oh, well, then, sorry, then, you can't play hurling anymore then. Right? What kind of a thing is that to do like? Say, therefore, the, the, the own club didn't want them playing hurling because it was taken from their football. And by the way, Nace are in the county minor hurling final in, Dublin, in Kilkenny at the moment. Nace from Kildare are in the Kilkenny minor hurling final. Because they're mad passionate on hurling. And you want to talk to them on a podcast sometime and ask them what cooperation they're getting in relation to trying to keep hurling going. We had, we had David Harty on there a few weeks ago and he was telling us about the work that's being done underage and the, and the structures that are in place. Yeah. So, yeah, Kildare, Kildare do seem like they're, they're on the right track. Well, if Kildare are in a situation with a growing population coming out, they're the, they're the new Dublin, like. And if they want it, they should be a power, powerhouse in hurling in Nolan. Mm. Should be, but they need a good underage structure. Anyway. And who is the toughest player that you've ever had to play or manage against? Uh, the toughest player, I suppose, um, I marked Jim Tracy, I think it was three times in the National League semi-final. And I, I found that I, I wasn't a corner forward, but uh, you're young and I was put in corner forward. Pat Dillon was full back. And uh, as my father said, your mother went out and got new insurance on you yesterday before you go play Kilkenny. But anyway, so uh, from my point of view, Jim Tracy was tough. Uh, and uh, I give I, I give as good as I got with him in terms of playing. I wasn't striking because I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But I got a headline on the paper after the first round game between Clare and Kilkenny in the National League semi-final, which the Clare selectors lost on us completely. They could win it by nine points with nine minutes to go. They made a complete another balls. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But the headline in the paper the previous, the next Wednesday before the match was Tracy to Master Griffin this time. That was the headline. Anyway. Going out of the dressing room, <laughs> Pat Dillon gave me a shot of his shoulder after the dressing room wall, and he says to me in his big Kilkenny accent, there'll be no headline today, you, sir. <laughs> and flattened me. But he got a box in the side of the head if he did, and I, that was the first time I saw around the tunnel. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but I was doing okay on Jim Tracy, and he absolutely laced me in the second half, and I was carried off in a stretcher. And like it was a dirty, dirty, filthy blow he hit me off the ball. Because I was annoying him. I, I was getting away from him. I was running and running and running. Because And the selectors then were telling me to stay in, stay in, stay in, and getting me killed. And uh, But Jim Tracy was uh, was tough and hard, and that was that, that he was tough. But Sonny Welsh from Waterford, too, was playing centre-back for Waterford, and I played against them in the championship, and I had a good game, and he came back to mark me. Now, we didn't get much of the ball, but like he was a bloody good hurler, too, and he didn't... He, you know, he was a Waterford hurler. I thought he was very, very good, yeah. But... Should I marked a whole lot of fellas that I can't remember even still at this stage, you know? Mm. But um, it wasn't fair anyway, a lot of the hurling at that time. The hurling today is much more better refereed and everything else. And talent is ta- talent gets a chance to show itself now at this stage. Whereas before, if you got a fellow fairly talented, you choked him and that's it. Or, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Liam, thanks a million for that and for all of your time. 
Thanks very much. Uh, no, no, you're welcome. Sure, you're trying to do something, so it's good. Matthew Hanlon trying to buy himself a bit of space. A point for Matthew Hanlon. It's not clear. It's in the net. It's in the net. It's in the net. The ball is in the net. It's a goal for Wexford. It's in the net. Gary, have you been talking to Shane Tompkins? I have actually, yeah, Ben. Uh, it's his birthday this week, so, you know, happy birthday to Shane. Uh, he told me that he wouldn't be able to make it because he's concentrating on the championship at the moment. Uh, no, that's not entirely correct. Um, oh? He, he got a, a bad kebab, he said, a few days ago, and... He hasn't been off the toilet since. Oh dear. So, you know, hopefully he starts to feel a bit better soon. Oh, I hope so, especially with Championship around the corner. But um, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks to our sponsor, the NSCRD Credit Union. Take care, everyone. Up Wexford.